Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It is Wednesday morning, October the 11th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Have you seen Rev? Uh, he's around. Has anybody uh, seen the Royal Rev of radio? Running a little late this morning. I mean, I'm just wondering, is anybody, I smell alcohol, but I've not seen the Royal <laughs> Rev of radio yet. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Turn There's on my the Royal Rev of Radio. Excuse us. Hey. Did we get in your way? Uh, yeah, sorry. I just came rolling in. Okay. My fault. Our bad. <laughs> Our bad. Rev I'm has sure. this distinct talent. You know what his talent is? I got a friend of mine that, that I love dearly. Here we go. But if we ever have a function we're to attend together, he'll get there 10 minutes late, and he's so damn good at it, he'll make you convinced you're 20 minutes early. <laughs> now, is that any better or worse than your skill, which is leaving events at the proper time <laughs> early. I'm pretty skillful at that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty skillful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Which is a better skill? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. So so, so when Cato got here, Cato and I and, well, the three of us went over to Sumter and hosted a mayor's debate. And I'd already spied a door. And you said that Cato asked, you know, where'd Ken go? He's gone. He's halfway home. Um, <laughs> well, Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight. Where's well, I mean, Ken? Where's Ken? Where when you run for office, you understand that you need these people to vote for you, but you don't need to have hour-long conversations about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, I mean, it's it's not insulting to the voter. I don't mean that. that, that well, I mean, I guess I, it is insulting to the voter. Hey, can you vote for me? Yeah, okay, bye. You know, <laughs> hey, can you vote for me? Yeah, bye. Um, I don't really like you. I don't want to talk to you. Um, I get accused of knowing a lot of people, having beat around this part of the country all my mm -hmm. life. My family's from here. Uh, you know, everything I am, good, bad, and different, is because of the PD region in Pamplico in particular. But um, I mean, somebody asked me, somebody told me, I told Rev this, and I probably shouldn't say it over the over the air, but it's it's said in jest and humor. You ready? Um, a friend of mine had a buddy who reached out to him and said, "Hey, I got a situation," and um, and I, you know, I listened to your buddy on the radio, and I think he might be able to help me. Uh, unless he's just completely and totally full. I know he's full of it, but unless he's completely and totally full of it, I think he might could point me in the right direction. Can you get me in touch with him or, or kind of, um, and, and my buddy says, Hey man, he knows, you know, a lot of people. And I said, but does he know? I don't like most of the people that, <laughs> that, that I know. And they don't much like me. It, it's kind of a transactional world. It's not based on true loyal, uh, friendship by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, when Rick and boss says, and, and, and Mike and I talk a lot about this off the air. Um, Mike is a uh, a state senator, recently elected. I mean, he has to put his game face on every day. I've been at it a good while. I don't have to put my game face on every day. Um, in fact, you accuse me of hiding uh, from time to time. <laughs> but I'm always, when I go speak at an event, the first thing I look for, where is the side door? <laughs> how, how, how do I get out of here without having a two-hour conversation about, you know, apartheid and occupation. One of our good listeners uh, sent me a, a complimentary text yesterday. One of the best shows we've ever done. I think he may have even said the best show Whoa. we've ever done. But then he took exception to my Facebook post uh, from yesterday that um, was pro-Israel and only got 53 likes. I'll let you decide. Mm -hmm. I can wish my wife happy birthday. My daughter, congratulations on some something she did at uh, USC. 500, 400, 600 likes. Uh, my kid, uh, you know, beat pain pills, and I'm proud of him for that. This month is the five-year anniversary of soberness wow. uh, with my oldest son. Awesome. And he's on his way to, a, you know, I, I hope a, a really, really good life. Um, and, and I put something out about congratulations. You know, this has been maybe a year or so ago. 
you know, like after like, comment after comment. I put something out there that has, you know, Trump or uh, the Palestinians or a little bit controversial, and it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure of this, and you know better than I, the algorithmic shadow banning oh, yeah. that goes along with some of these it's posts real. That, that Facebook doesn't particularly agree with. I don't know if it was the best show we've ever done. I think it was a good show. I'm proud. It was serious. I mean, I'm very proud of what we've allowed to have happen, what we've participated in. Uh, we're learning together. I know more today than I knew yesterday. Um, I knew more. And, I, and I'll level with you. When the events of Saturday transpired, maybe Friday night, we're in different time zones. Might have been Friday night, our time. When the events transpired, I remember thinking to myself, I'm at the beach and I'm watching television and I'm going like, I don't have time for that. I mean, we got, you know, we got college football and major league baseball. I mean, we got playoffs and, and you know, the, um, the intense rivalries. We got Texas A&M and, and Alabama. We've got Texas and Oklahoma. We've got, you know, um, I mean, the Gamecocks are off this weekend. So that's kind of a relaxing mode to be in over, over the weekend. But I remember just thinking about, hey, I'll get to that Sunday. You know, I'll get back to that Sunday after the race, you know, because they're racing at the Roval in Charlotte. I mean, that's kind of our shutdown time. And, uh, and that's the me time that Rev and I talk about. Kind of get rejuvenated, enjoy some of the things that we enjoy. And I remember saying, it's just another one of those episodes of unrest in the Middle East. It's not. It's not just another episode of unrest in the Middle East. And I'm not glad it happened, obviously. I mean, it's 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 horrific. It's it's tragic. It's disgusting. It's 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 all the you know the 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 most horrifying images imaginable are coming out of that part of the world. But it has forced me to become more enlightened. I mean, I've heard these things, Rev, and I'm I'm ready to admit. I mean, I'll easily admit this. Josh and I talked a little bit this morning. The majority of my worldview is shaped by the Bible, my belief of the Old and New Testament. But, but I've, I've got about, what, about 3 million professing Christians at 3 billion professing Christians in the world-ish. I mean, I read last night, uh, World Almanac has it at 2.88 billion. So let's round off and say 3 billion Christians in the world. What, 6.5 billion people on the planet? That means there are more people that don't ascribe to my Christian-oriented biblical worldview than do. So, you know, despite my belief, in Jerusalem, and, you know, we're talking this morning out in the lobby, a couple of employees here at Community Broadcasters, Jerusalem is the center of the universe. I mean, it really and truly is. Um, It is heavily influenced or been heavily influenced by the Christian faith, the Muslim faith, and the Jewish faith, Judaism, Christianity, uh, Islam, all lay some degree of claim uh, to Jerusalem as consequential and important in, uh, in their part of the world. So, so I'm more than willing to accept criticism, uh, or excuse me, I, I'm more willing to accept that my biblical worldview may be a bit fetish. I mean, it, it may be, it may disallow moral clarity, Josh. I mean, I, I am so convinced in the God of Abraham and, and the, uh, you know, the virgin birth of Jesus and, and what the Old and New Testament say about the world that I inhabit. I'm willing to admit that, that I may have a lack of moral clarity or, or fairness because of the worldview that I hold. I give, this is going to sound weird, I give the God of Abraham and King David the benefit of the doubt and, and the historical analysis. And it's not just biblical. I mean, history um, you know, says some of these things that are consistent with 
with the biblical um, worldview. But I think it's fair game. I think it's absolutely fair game to criticize the Jews in relation to, um, you know, the where the Palestinians should live and how they've been treated. I mean, of course, that's fair game. Um, I think it's fair game to criticize a lot of what the Jews have done in, in responding to Hamas and Hezbollah. I mean, the Jews aren't perfect, nor nor sinless, nor flawless. But but I think we understand now, or I think I do. I can't speak for you. I think I have a degree of understanding now that that I have more moral clarity today. I, I'll level with you. I told a Jewish friend of mine yesterday. He and I got together, and he said, you know, um, I mean, he's struggling. I mean, he's heartbroken that, I mean, his grandfather and grandmother came from, uh, I think, Poland. They had been displaced in Poland in, in the uh, in the mid-1940s, uh, and they end up in New York. I think the, one, of the, one of the family members ends up in, in a jewelry business or something like that. But, um, I mean, he talks about the, the concentration camps. And um, one of the interesting questions I asked him yesterday, and I knew he was wrong, but I didn't want to correct him. Um, I said, what is the gun ownership rate in Israel? And he said, I, it, it'd have to be high. I mean, it'd have to be. I said, I don't think it is. Nah, you're wrong there. You're, you're wrong. I mean, you're right on a lot of things, but you're wrong about that. It's 2%. I mean, they're extremely strict gun laws. Um, and I was thinking about, okay, you're a Jewish family, and Hamas shows up at the door. Three Hamas terrorists show up at your door, and they kick the door down. I, I, what? what a baseball bat? I mean, a shovel? A rake? A hoe? I mean, is that what you're counting on? No. I mean, to me, if any nation should have a Second Amendment secured by a constitution, it would be Israel. I mean, it, 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 I knew I was right, but but he, he didn't argue with me. He said, I, I just, I, I think it would have to be high. You know, I mean, he calls himself Jew light. I mean, he's an American Jew. He's not as, um, you know, orthodoxed. As some of the uh, some of the Jews, I, I just think there's a. I am proud of what we did over the past three or four days, a couple of days, in trying to better understand uh, this part of the world. How many of you knew that the Ottoman Empire, largely Islamists, how, how many of you knew that the Ottoman Empire had control of Jerusalem for about 400 years? I can tell you who screwed it up. You ready for a Pamplicoinian? You, you ready? I mean, I studied a little bit last night. You do really goof this thing up or created unclarity. Um, there, there, if you, if you're a, if you're someone with a biblical worldview, that there is a way to get to moral clarity. I can tell you who, in, in the most secular way imaginable, screwed it up. The British. At the end of the, the League of Nations, basically deferred to the British to said, "You folks are pretty good at colonizing. Um, who ought to get what? You know, at the end of the First World War, and and out of that came what they call the British Mandate, and." They promised Palestine and the Jews more than they could deliver. They, they, they met with the Jewish leadership. Yeah, we'll get to your place. Don't worry about it. Yeah, the Palestinians, well, we're not going to give the Jews what they, you know, I mean, they kind of, they, 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 they double dipped basically. And they tried to make the Palestinians ha- happy and they tried to make um, the Jews happy. And out of that came, uh, I guess, controversial layings of claims. Um, to land and property and, you know, where you go and where I go. Um, I did read last night, and this is kind of interesting. I made a note this morning. Today at some point in time, there's been some consideration by the Jewish government that they're going to allow a humanitarian corridor off into Egypt. Now, now I've got a theory here, and, and this is nothing but my theory. I believe 
that the beheading of the babies has created an intensity in, in Israel that, and I'm not in Israel, I'm not Jewish, so, so what I'm saying is, is kind of as a bystander and an observer. I believe the humanitarian corridor that is, is kind of in place today, but I think it'll be announced at some point in time uh, by Jewish authorities that, hey, if you're a Palestinian and you don't sign up for a mosque, you better get out of there because we're coming in and, and, and we're going to kill everything we see. I mean, I, I, once again, I'm not Jewish. I'm not Israel. I, I'm not calling the shots. But, but something leads me to believe that, you know, the, the military encounters of history have been a little bit different. I think the beheading of babies, um, the posting on Facebook and TikTok and social media of just slaughtering, I mean, barbaric slaughterings and butcherings of, of other human beings. I think, I think the, the Israeli government and, and the, what was it, the, the Lukid party that um, Benjamin Netanyahu presides over, I mean, it doesn't have a ruling majority. The only way he can get a ruling majority is to go to the right. I mean, th- th- there are elements in the in the parliament that are even a little more right of center than than uh, Netanyahu, and I think they're going to allow quote unquote innocent Palestinians who don't endorse nor support what Hamas did um, through this humanitarian corridor into Egypt, and they're going to shut it down. And I think Gaza will be a part of Israel. I mean, I, I don't think Palestinians will live in. Well, I, I think. Hamas supporting Palestinians will not live in in Gaza. I mean, I don't know that. I just sense that that Israel sees this as the the most menacing threat they've had to deal with. I mean, they've had a lot of threats. They've dealt with a lot of. I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for a double decker bus to blow up in Tel Aviv. I mean, that's not a daily occurrence, but it's not that uncommon uh, for Israelis to. I mean, they, you know, the the what is it? The Iron Dome. I mean, there, there's a reason, you know, that they have a, um, a sensitivity about safety and security. I want to come back and talk a little bit about, um, we had an interesting, I think Anthony called in later, if I'm not mistaken, Josh, and wanted to say, hey, I'm not a Holocaust denier. Sounded like one, but, but he said, I'm not. He went through some of the math of, of Jews. It was, um, I mean, I went back last night. It was basically 25% of all Jews uh, exterminated from the planet Earth. Uh, in the in the Holocaust, that was real, and included roughly six million Jews. Many put in furnaces and burned to death. Cattle cars led to Auschwitz. Um, if they didn't die in the cattle car for lack of oxygen, suffocation, really and truly, um, they were they had the misfortune of being put in furnaces and burned to death. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Josh, question number one for you, my youthful friend. All right. Do you believe that there's butchering going on in Ukraine? Yes. Do you believe human beings are dying horrific deaths in Ukraine, both Russian and Ukrainian soldiers? Yes. In the most horrific way imaginable. I do. Do you care? Um, not particularly. Okay, that that's interesting. I do. Uh, I'm I mean, older. I, I've developed this. Um, I, I don't know the this sensibility that leads me to. I want to clarify. Okay, if I could, I thought you would. I, I do care on a humanitarian level as like a Christian. Obviously, I don't. I'm not like completely indifferent. I, you know, like I said, if I could wave a wand and end it, I would. You don't care to the degree of wanting the United States to be militarily involved, right? Okay, I, I don't want to go over the, there the, and fight. The humani- I don't want- 
All yeah. of us have some degree of humanitarian in us. Sure. You, 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 Rev, you care. I see you nodding your head. Mm-hmm. You care as a fellow human being when any atrocity like that happens anywhere around the world. Of course, I do. But you don't care enough to say America must intervene in what's happening in Kiev and, and Ukraine and the Donbass and, and you know, some That's of these true. other territories. That's true. Okay. I care deeply about my fellow man. I mean, I've tried to really be better at that. I mean, as I've gotten older and and a little bit wiser, I think I do have an obligation, a human obligation to my fellow man, no matter where they may be and what circumstance they find, might find themselves in. But there's nothing, um, th- there's nothing about my adherence to the biblical worldview. In other words, it's easy for me to cop out in Ukraine. It's easy for me to say, man, I care, but I don't want Americans involved in that. I mean, I, I just don't. I can't do that with Israel. I mean, I am as non-interventionist as I've ever been. Sitting behind this mic today, I'm non-interventionist. I think America has gotten itself involved in too many skirmishes and, and issues militarily around the world for our own good. I think we're weakened. I think we're stretched thin. I think our debt has been driven up by, you know, military spending that we were not, should not have spent and been involved in. But, but my adherence to this biblical worldview almost requires me and that's where I go to the lacking of moral clarity. I think I have 100% moral clarity in my situ- in my belief of what we need to do or not in Ukraine. I mean, I have moral clarity about the human atrocities. I have moral clarity about the butchering that's going on. And I care deeply about my fellow man. But I, I, can't, I can't convince myself that that is where America needs to intervene or be involved. I can't, dis- I, I can't disconnect myself from the biblical worldview and the belief that Israel— is different. Somebody asked, how is it different? I don't know. I mean, if you don't believe in the God of Abraham, you don't believe that Jerusalem is holy land, and you don't believe uh, that King David in 1000 BC, you know, established Jewish rule in, in the city of Jerusalem. If you don't believe, I mean, I think Eben Brown yesterday was one of the greatest guests we've ever had on this show. And Eben intentionally talked about the Sea of Galilee and the Sermon on the Mount and, and Jerusalem because he knows that resonates with a Christian nation. And we're not all Christians. I mean, in fact, there are more non-Christians in the world than there are Christians. But, but I can't escape that. I can't, I can't not believe that Israel is different. I don't have the capacity. I'm not a Vulcan. I'm not a creature of logic. I'm an emotionally invested person this morning, and something in, inspires me to say we can't allow that. I mean, it, we can't allow Israeli babies to be beheaded, Jewish babies to be beheaded and sit idly by. Uh, would I feel that way if I saw an optic in Ukraine of a Ukrainian daycare being overrun by Russian thugs and Ukrainian babies having their heads cut off? I, I don't know. I've not seen that visual. I'm very circumstantially questioning of what's happening in Ukraine, but my adherence to a biblical worldview requires me to be emotionally invested in what's happening in Israel. I'm not saying it's rational. I, I, I don't know that I've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I've tried over the last couple of days to better understand. I mean, I knew what I believed, and I knew Jerusalem was a controversial, you know, uh, world city. I mean, I knew that. I, I knew that Jerusalem meant a lot to the Muslims, the Jews, and the and the Christians. I mean, I'd read enough to, to understand that. Um, but but, but I, I, I can't. I can't turn, it just sounds weird because 
who am I to turn my back on anybody? But I can't feel about Israel like I do about Ukraine because the Bible tells me I can't. The, the, the Bible with a certain degree of clarity. Now, once again, moral clarity and, I, I guess, religious clarity. I mean, I, I'm, there you go. I'm very clear on what my faith tells me our obligations are. Our obligations are to protect Israel. I mean, I, I think that Jerusalem is the Holy Land. I think God, Jews are, are God's chosen people um, because I believe in the Old and New, and New Testament. But, but why do I feel differently about barbarians butchering people in Kiev than I do barbarians butchering people in Israel. I don't know, but I do. I absolutely do. I'm still non-interventionist, just not as much today as I was, you know, Friday afternoon when, when nothing had happened in, in Israel. Here's the question I want us to ponder this morning. We don't believe, or I don't. I mean, I can't speak for you. You guys can opine uh, for yourselves. I don't believe for a second that every German approved of what Adolf Hitler did. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, you, you'll never convince me that there weren't Germans who said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you know, um, I mean, yesterday was the 49th anniversary of the death of Oskar Schindler. And we know Schindler's List, the movie. Uh, we know the story of Oskar. Some of you know the story of Oskar Schindler. Um, saved hundreds of Jews from, you know, Nazi persecution and, and death and concentration camp. But here's the question I'll ask the two of you. Was there a moment in time when the non-Nazi Jew, excuse me, the non-Nazi German, when the German, and I understand in the early days, okay, I'm not sure what this Hitler guy is going to do, but at some point in time, the German who didn't approve of what Hitler did knew what he was doing and did nothing. I understand. I mean, it, it, it's, it would be hard to do anything. I get that. I understand that. I mean, you risk death and, you know, you, you risk your, your family. I get all that. But is there any blood on your hands? Because I heard yesterday, and I said it in a minute, all Palestinians don't support Hamas. I mean, they, they are the duly elected government of Gaza. We, we don't know the circumstances. I asked Rev yesterday, do they walk up to your door with a ballot, a machine gun, or a machete? I mean, that pretty, I mean, that's a heavy influence on how you mm -hmm. vote or not. But, but, but let's go back to the Germans and Hitler. In the, in the early days of, of, of the Nazi regime, I got to believe there were Germans who said, I'm hearing some of these things, but I can't believe that. And at some point in time, not just hearing the thing, you begin believing it, and you still did nothing. That there, there are thousands of Jews, excuse me, I keep going, thousands of Germans who did nothing. They didn't put Jews in furnaces. They didn't kill Jews. They, they, they were not participating in the Holy Cause, but they did live under Nazi control and the Nazi regime. If, if, if every Palestinian is not supportive of Hamas, what obligation and responsibility do they have to speak out? I mean, I understand. We just talked about a, uh, a humanitarian corridor. Just get out of there. You know, I, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm caught. I'm trapped. I'm in Gaza. I'm a Palestinian. I don't approve of what Hamas is doing. There's no way that I don't care what God you believe in. There's no way a God would order someone to cut the heads off innocent babies. I mean, that's that, that's freakish. I mean, that, that's, that's just completely and totally inhumane. There is no God 
that there is no God worthy of believing in that would order human beings to cut the heads off babies and children and molest adults and, and, and repeatedly rape women. I mean, you can't get there from here. I mean, there's just no way that, that a God would suggest, order, compel, motivate anybody to do something like that. So, so the, the similarity between the Germans in Germany who were living under Nazi control but, but, but knew what Hitler was doing and want to know part of that, what was their responsibility? Likewise, what is the responsibility of a Palestinian living in Gaza knowing what Hamas has done, is doing? What is their responsibility to speak out? What would you do if you were a German in the mid-19 or early 1940s? What would you do if you were a Palestinian today? That's, that's heavy. That's heavy. That's real <laughs> heavy. Take a break. Back in a few. I'll tell you that there's a human emotion attached to watching something, and I've watched. I mean, it's hard for me to watch, but I watched it because I feel like I owe it to myself to understand why I feel the way I feel. Why do I feel different about what's happening in Israel and what's happening in, in Ukraine? I mean, human barbarianism and butchering is butchering. I mean, God loves all people. I get that. But but here's the issue, and here's where it really comes close to home. Um, everybody coming across that southern border ain't coming to pick strawberries and put out pine straw i'll assure you with that let me say that again with complete clarity the one thing those in Hamas have in common and i'm talking about those who cut the heads off jewish babies would cut the head off american babies if given half a chance and everybody coming undocumented across the southern border in this nonsense this craziness on the Mexican-American border, those people aren't all coming looking for a better way of life to pick your strawberries, cut your grass, or put out your pine straw. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. i tell you what those people would do. I'll tell you what we would do, kid. You know, you ask what would we do, you know, if you're a Palestinian, what would we do if you would have been German? We'd have done just what they did. What did we do with the... Um, BLM called Marxist terrorists and Antifa Marxist terrorists were going around beating up all these people. You know, like Anthony was saying the other day, and brother, they thought they weren't all beating up black folks. Some black folks got killed, but the BLM guys were beating up white folks. Okay, let's just be clear about that. And all, what, what did we do? Nothing. But all those people were getting killed. Nothing. But the cities were getting burned. Nothing. You know why we didn't do nothing? Because we were scared. I didn't go down to Charleston and take old BLM and that team for my, you know, and start fighting them and get my, you know, get my broad sword out there and do my last stand. And neither did any damn body else. And I'll tell you another thing, too. Uh, you know, we, we just, the problem is, and they don't do anything in policy, but, and even these other Arab countries, they're in, in, a, in, a, in a right world, all of these Arab countries are getting together with Israel and allied themselves. You have all these countries cooperating together, and it'd be a wonderful place to live and be. And they would get said, "Listen, we got to get these uh, rats and exterminate them, because that's what you got to do with people like that." You know, you know, you, like you said, you have the difference between yesterday and today. Even when you see what you're dealing with, you realize these people have to be exterminated. But again, right now, I'm telling you right now, who is the criminal here? Well, 
COVID, you breeze appreciate it i thought about that i mean if, if you willingly and complicitly allow foreign actors into your nation and you know there's a percentage of those um somebody with the rnc how many do you think it is I, I don't have any idea i mean that's the scary part i mean it's probably thousands i mean i would imagine several thousand infiltrators who aren't coming to pick strawberries and and, and cut grass and you know the, the like I, mean, I would imagine it's in the thousands and they're probably forming super sales as we speak, and they're probably organizing some sort of attack on America as we speak, and we don't know. I mean, that's the scary part. If it was 174 and we found 27 of them, you know, there, there's a, there's a, uh, I don't know, a, a way to go about the business of addressing the issue. We have no clue. I mean, it could be 100,000. I mean, every other member, every other illegal alien could be a member of Hamas or Hezbollah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, um, the Taliban. Mm-hmm. And we know how many millions have come in sure. across I mean, that there, border. Multiple millions of in you know of uh, illegal aliens have you know invaded our nation, and some have come seeking a better way. Some have come seeking political asylum. But you know what? What of the? I mean, let's say it's one percent. I mean, let's say it's two percent of two million, three million illegal. I mean, it's absurd that we've not secured our border and 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 breathe some of that. There's blood on the American government's hands. But there's no doubt about it. There is blood on the American government's hands. I mean, if something terrorist-related happened to a family in Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Florence, Sumter, Orangeburg, wherever, I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the responsibility lies. It's not your job to secure the border. It's not your job to keep America safe. It's their job. And they've neglected that responsibility. They've been derelict in their duty of securing the border. And, and you know, we can argue about unskilled labor imbalances. I mean, somebody asked me, why won't they in, you secure the border? Well, I mean, I think, you know, corporate America and employers like an unskilled labor force imbalance. I believe that. I think the majority of Democrats believe the more of these people that come into our country and become dependent on our welfare system, the most generous welfare system the world has ever offered, they're more likely to vote as self-preservationist. In other words, the Democrats are the one who helped me pay for this apartment. They helped me buy my groceries. They helped me pay for my car. They pay me some money to not go work. The more children I have, the more money I get from the government. That's those Democrats. Why wouldn't I vote for the Democrats? I mean, I didn't come over here to work. I come over here to be a part of the welfare state. Um, I'll tell you this. You better hope that more are coming here for the welfare state than are coming to create super sales. I mean, the welfare state will eventually be our demise, but it won't have your head cut off. 
I mean, it won't, you know, it won't kill you in, in cold-blooded fashion. And, and I just think that's, th- this is serious. I mean, this is extremely serious. And, and I'll tell you one of the most appalling parts of this is there are members of Congress, duly elected members of Congress, who won't condemn the beheading of Jewish children. Wow. In America, there are members, sitting members of Congress who refuse to condemn the beheading and butchering of Jewish babies, children, women. My God, who's electing these people to be representatives of our federal government? Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937, hour number two on a Wednesday morning. We've um, we've kind of, I mean, we've gone a long way down this road in trying to, to, to better understand the situation in Israel, not just the moment in time, but how we got here. Uh, v- very few people. I mean, once again, there is that there is a uh, Josh. I said earlier this morning, I have complete moral clarity on Ukraine, Russia. Am I right? I don't know. I think I am, but but it's my opinion, and I don't second guess myself. I am appalled at the butchering of human beings in Ukraine, but it's not real hard for me to say no more money, no military involvement. Israel is different to me, and I know the reason it's different to me is my adherence to a biblical worldview, my belief of the Old and New Testament, my belief of the God of Abraham and King David and, you know, um, Jerusalem being the holy land or the, the most holy of lands and, and, and the Jews being God's chosen people. And, I mean, I don't feel inclined to defend Jews at every turn. And, and I, I'm certainly not here to say, well, the Jews did everything right or the Palestinians did everything wrong. You want to go down the road of history, go to the British Mandate. I mean, in the British Mandate, the British made promises to the Palestinians and Jewish people knowing they couldn't honor both commitments. So you kind of created this, um, this tension between Jews and Palestinians, and it is one of the age-old conflicts. Uh, but it is the Palestinians and the Jews, but it's Israel. It's the Holy Land. It's a biblical worldview. It's Christianity. It's Judaism. It, it's the Muslim faith. I mean, it gets incredibly complicated real quick. But, but to me, the disqualifier for being allowed to participate in the debate is to not believe the Holocaust happened. I mean, to me, when you say the Holocaust is a fabrication, you should get kicked out of the bar. I mean, you don't get to sit at the table and include yourself, involve yourself in this conversation. We can disagree on how much blame the Jews have and how much blame the Palestinians have and how much blame, um, you know, the, 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 the Brit, the, 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 and the British were good at colonization. I mean, that's why the, the League of Nations kind of deferred to the British. Hey, you make the call. You know, you, you guys are good at this. You make the call. And they did. And they made a bad call. They made a call that promised. I mean, they over-promised and under-delivered to the Palestinians and, and the Jews. And, I mean, it created a lot of strife and conflict. So I'm not here to, to suggest the Jews are blameless. But, but I am. My adherence to the biblical worldview probably forces me to give the Jews more benefit of the doubt. Okay, I have a question for you. Okay. Since we like to dabble in the hypotheticals sometimes, um, President Ard, all right, you're faced with this situation. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So, so President Ard, what would you do and how would you address these world affairs that are happening right Believe now? Believe it or not, I've thought of that. I'm so arrogant as to think <laughs> of that. The first thing I would do is contact Netanyahu and find out what his end game is. 
I mean, ultimately, you are the prime minister of Israel. What is your objectives? I mean, do you want to run them? Do you want to run the Palestinians completely out of Gaza? I mean, do you want to make Egypt the Palestinian state? I mean, this um, this humanitarian corridor that we're talking about is the intent to allow people who don't support Hamas to get into Egypt and hide for a while until this thing works itself out and then come back to Gaza? Or, or do you want to just kind of run every Palestinian out and not risk it ever again? You've got to get clarity from the prime minister of Israel and the Israeli army. What do you want to take place? And then we decide how much of that we can support or not. How much involvement? Now, I'll be I'll level with you. Before I make any commitment to Netanyahu, I let him know on the front end, I'm not sending soldiers. There will be zero, zero American boots on the ground. Zero. Now, now we can we can discuss how much military armaments, how much uh, hardware, how much arsenal, how much, uh, you know, technology. Uh, we, we've, we've equipped, I mean, we, we've given Israel a lot of fighting abilities. I mean, we, they, they probably have as state-of-the-art American military equipment as anybody in the world. And they've earned that. I mean, they, they've been a very trustworthy ally for a long time. Is it a perfect relationship? I'm not saying the Jews are blameless. Please understand that. But the first thing I would do is I would tell Netanyahu, I am not sending American soldiers to fight in that war. I'm not. Now, you've got to decide whether you go after Iran, and that's the escalation. I mean, that really is. I mean, if, um, if Netanyahu says, I'm not stopping at Gaza, I mean, they get the $100 million a year from Tehran. I'm going after Iran's capital. I take a deep breath then. I mean, I take a deep breath. I may resign and say, Trump, you want this now? Uh, no, no, I'm not being whimsical, but I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the most serious escalation that everybody yeah. needs to consider. The Jewish-Palestinian conflict can be settled in the Middle East. The second that Israel attacks Iran, because Iran is the sponsor of Hamas, that's the second it gets world. I mean, that's the second every country in the world has to make a decision. So, so, so the, the second thing I do, the moment I hang up the phone with Netanyahu and he tells me his plan, and I've said explicitly I'm not putting American boots on the ground, we will decide how much involvement or not militarily, and by that I mean fighting armaments, and we will support you to the nth degree. But I want to know what your objectives are. The second thing I would do when I hung the phone up with Netanyahu, I'd call Xi. And I'd say, are you with the barbarians or not? I mean, it's one of those George W. Bush. You're with us or you're against us? I mean, are you with the barbarians or not? Are you with the subhuman terrorists that cut the heads off Jewish children or not? Xi wants it both ways. He wants to live in the past, the Chinese dynasty, but he wants to be a part of the future, the geopolitical, um, you know, uh, replacement to America, the American century is at its dawn or at its dusk. The Chinese century is at its dawn, and there's no way, there's no way the Chinese century at its dawn corresponds with, I don't condemn what Hamas did. You would force China, uh, R- Russia, no matter what Russia says, they're going to back channel support to Iran. I mean, they just are. They always are. Um, they always will. Trust Putin as far as you can throw. But I'm not saying trust Xi. Xi has more at play. Xi has a lot more at stake. Xi wants to be um, in control of China when it ascends to the geo, the preeminent geopolitical superpower the world uh, will deal with for the next 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. 
And you can't do that unless you condemn a terrorist organization that cuts the heads off kids. So, so I would get China and Xi on the record. Where are you in this geopolitical alignment or, or, or you know, pro- issue that the world is trying to deal with? I want to throw a hypothetical your way because uh, you've, you've stated many times on the Israeli issue that your worldview and, and take on the matter is shaped by your, your biblical point of view. And I'm a Christian as well, and of course my worldview is shaped, my, shaped by my belief in the Bible too. Um, granted, I don't feel as strongly about this issue as you seem to, so I, so I want to throw this hypothetical at you. What, what would you say if, let's say, the current leader of America— President, president, whoever, let's say it's not Biden, but they are like a devout Christian, and they say, okay, Jerusalem is the Holy Land. Uh, it's very special to the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims. And right now, the two main factions fighting over it are the Jews and the Muslims. So what if, you know what, you're both savages, we're just going to go in there and take over, and it's under Christian occupation from now on. It is the 51st state of the United States, but... Uh, it's no longer a Jewish nation. Bibi Netanyahu, you're going to jail. Uh, Hamas, you're going to jail. And it's now under Christian occupation. Would you be against or for that? I would be against that. And why is that? You're talking about an occupation. Yeah. Because I'm just, I, I'm not, I mean, I, I told you I'm an anti-interventionist. Mm-hmm. Until it, it kind of, I'm, I'm being hypocritical here. I mean, I, I'll admit I am. I mean, I'll say these certain things about savages butchering Ukrainians, and I feel differently about savages butchering uh, you know, Jewish children. I, I do feel differently about that. And and I have a right to feel different. I mean, you can call me hypocritical because it probably is to some degree, but I would not be in favor of basically a takeover of the Jewish state and declaring it American territory. I, I just, that, that's a bridge too far. Can I me. ask why? Sure. I mean, well, I just think it's too complicated. I mean, I think 1948, we established the Jewish state. Truman made uh, the official recognition that Israel was going to be, you know, the Jewish state. Uh, and then we got into West Bank and Gaza and what, you know, what, where the lines are, how many people live there, what are their rights. You know, 17,000 people come from Gaza every day in Israel to work. Uh, the Israeli population is not 100% Jewish. I think 25% of the Israeli population is non-Jewish. And then you've got different factions within the, within the Jewish population. I just don't, I, I think that's more than America can say grace over. I, I just, I just do. I just think that's, we got enough problems here. And, and I, once again, you heard me say, that I would tell Netanyahu, zero boots on the ground. I'm not going to be a part of an occupation. I don't want American blood spilled in Israel. I think we're an ally, the most trusted ally they have, and they're probably, along with England, the most trusted ally we have. But I will let not Netanyahu know with complete clarity that, that our support will be technology, armaments, um, you know, negotiations, whatever we can help negotiate, um, lean on the U.N. to do some of these things. I don't like the U.N., I don't like NATO, but but they're there, and 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 you know they're 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 important. I mean they really are. I, I wish we could abolish NATO and the United Nations. I think the world's a better place when nations defer to their own sovereignty and they say grace over their own problems. And you know we don't have these organizational structures that that very time very often get a little bit ambiguous about what their what their missions are. That's an interesting point. That that's an extreme proposal that I think is just far too complicated for America to get caught up in trying. Um, to, to handle. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. George in Florence. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, Ken. This is, um, I was talking to you yesterday about my uncle being in Auschwitz and Dachau, the concentration camps. People like Bert 
don't even have an idea of what's going on. His, my uncle's brother, both of them were put into railroad cars. One went to the to the gas chambers. The other one was kept in the concentration camps to be as a forced labor. Um, Bert's sitting on there, and I wasn't going to go this direction, but Bert kind of really got me going on this. Bert's sitting there talking about all this that can't happen, that didn't happen. And he's, he's quoting scripture, but even the Bible says that Satan knows scripture. Now, whether Burke realizes it or not, I don't care because I know my history. And I really don't care what the others think. I know what happened. My mother had shrapnel wounds when she was alive from explosions of bombs. My grandfather was basically, you ask, what would we do in a situation like that? I would do exactly what my grandfather did. My German grandfather was in the party that was anti-Hitler, and he was also part of an underground that helped move Jewish people out of the nation of Germany. And he was not, and my uncle was not even a Jew. He was Polish, and he was escorted out. In my mind, the, the Democratic Party is basically running parallel with what the Nazi Party and Hamas and all do by uh, the indoctrination of children, telling you what you can say and what you can't do, and eventually Hitler took over because of all that process. Now, Bert, you need to go over there and see what really happened. You can't go by statistics and all that. You go by human body. A lot of people died because of people like Bert. Thanks. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Charles in Lamar. Hi, Charles. You're on. Good morning. I agree 100%. If someone denies the Holocaust, they're not welcome to have uh, to, to the discussion. Just like I've said before, someone wants to have a gun control discussion with me, and I say, all right, what does AR and AR-15 stand for? And I get assault rifle or automatic rifle or something like that. They're not intelligent enough to even be involved in the conversation. So that's the way I feel about the Holocaust. Back, <clears throat> there was a young woman from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who immigrated to Israel when Israel was formed in 1948, and um, she became prominent there, and she ran for political office, and she was eventually elected prime minister. Her name was Golda Meir, and she made a, uh, a comment that I think is so important back in the early 70s. She said, we can forgive the Palestinians for killing our children, but we will never forgive the Palestinians for making us kill their children. And I think that's what we're looking at now. Hamas has made, um, has made the Israelis uh, to retaliate, to kill whatever's in their way. And uh, and and it, it regardless of what Talib says, regardless of what these groups on college campuses say, it's Hamas's responsibility when all the death and destruction is totaled up. You can't blame anybody but them. Now, Ken, sometimes numbers get confusing. Nineteen terrorists killed twenty nine hundred people on nine eleven. 
It's estimated by the end of the year there will have been 8 million illegals cross that southern border. If one one one-hundredth of one percent of those are terrorists, that's 800 people. And 19 of them killed almost 3,000 Americans on 9-11. That's what we're facing with this bag of oatmeal in, in the White House. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. We're behind a bit. We'll make sure we stay on schedule. No matter how intense the convert, Josh is, he's on the job there. He's doing his job that he was commanded yep. um, to do. Keep that host in order. Don't let him get long-winded <laughs> as he has a tendency to do. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. A couple of callers are there. Mike in Darlington. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, I cannot say I'm I'm so disappointed in, in Bert. He's not as smart as I thought he was at all. And uh, it's, it, it's a saddening thing that he could deny the Holocaust like that, having grown up, met survivors and, and talked with them and lived around them. And uh, it, it's just a, a very serious thing that uh, – to deny that that sort of thing, and it's horrible that um, that that Mein Kampf would be one of the top-selling books in the Middle East, and I think it's because of this nihilistic death cult. It's it's nihilism. It's just death to uh, people altogether, and I I think it's a horrible thing to deny that because not just Jews went to the death camps, a lot of Baptists and, and gypsies and everything. And uh, that's, uh, I've talked to uh, veterans of the Bear Mock. They've gone on to their reward or punishment in uh, years gone by, and uh, veterans of uh, Mussolini's army too. And, uh, they, and uh, to deny the Holocaust is just, uh, that's evil. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. But in the good old U.S. of A., you can believe, by and large, what you choose to believe. And I'm not going to censor opinions. I mean, I, I've thought about, you know, is there a line that that someone could cross and not be allowed to give their opinion? But, but I still think talk radio celebrates and is regarded as a bastion of independent thought. And, and you're allowed to believe and think what you choose to think and believe and express yourself as you see fit. So I just, I mean, Rev and I've talked about this. Is there a line there somewhere? I mean, I don't want anybody getting personal. I mean, I don't want to call out local officials by name and call them no count, you know, scumbags and, and, and the sorts. I just don't think we're in the business of trafficking in that. But, but you know, I, I still think, I mean, I, I believe denying the Holy Cross, the, whole, uh, the Holocaust is, I mean, I, you know, Mike said evil. I, I would kind of side there. I mean, you, you know, you're believing something other than the historical accounting of one of the great human atrocities in the history of our planet. And, and I do believe that in relation to, you know, the, 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 what is the solution between Israel, Gaza, the West Bank, the Palestinians, the, the Jewish uh, state? And, and once again, you know, uh, some people take exception to apartheid and occupation, but it's a part, it's a, it's a relevant issue. It is, it is something that people bring up. I mean, it's the Palestinians' beef, and and you can't just neglect it and say, well, they're you know this side is always right and that side's always wrong. 
Uh, the Jews are not blameless by any stretch of the imagination. So I think when you talk about King David and and, and the, the the Ottoman Empire and you know uh, the, the, all the other associ- uh, the British Mandate, I think you've got to include apartheid and occupation as part of the discussion. Um, you know, I I, I kind of side on the other, uh, and I think the British Mandate. If you go back and read and, and try to understand it, you'll see where the Brits uh, overpromised. They made promises to the Jews and Palestinians that they knew they couldn't honor, and they created a lot of tension at a very intense degree of tension. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Florence. Hi, Joe. You are on the air. Yes. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, I I don't consider myself a prejudiced or anti-Semitic person, but one of the things that I struggle with as a American Christian is that I see a bit of a distinction between the Judeo-Christian uh, philosophy and religion. You know, I see the Old Testament as kind of like a an eye for an eye, and the New Testament is kind of turn the other cheek. And so that's, that's kind of hard uh, to reconcile for me. And in some regards, I've even seen some of America's role in the Middle East question as one of regi- regime change. I mean, I, I think we've, we've not deal, dealt even handedly with it. Um, and as you like to say, guys, you know, the answer is money. Uh, what is the question? And I remember a cute old joke uh, a long time ago where they said, Jesus saves, but Moses invests. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could obviously go down the road of money. I mean, you know, th- there's a big celebration on K Street today with the military defense contract lobbyists and consultants. I'll assure you of that. I mean, the CEOs are lighting up the phone with their lobbyists. You know, what exactly does the American government have in store? How involved is America going to get? Um, to what extent are America going to provide, you know, weaponry to the um, to the Israelis? And you know how you know uh, what, what what is the likelihood that Iran gets brought to the? I think one of the most important things to do now, and and once again, Rev said, what would President R do? Well, I'd probably shake in my boots. Um, but but no, I think the first thing you've got to do is understand with exact and precise clarity what net you ha- what net news game plan is what is the objective what is the end game you don't get to decide israel's fate and future they do you can disagree with what they want to do you can disagree with the plan and 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 the desired outcome but america in no way shape or form gets to make that call now you decide to what extent you're willing to support whatever netanyahu says uh if netanyahu goes to the extreme and says i want gaza done away with i want that to be part of israel I want to bomb Tehran. Uh, I think that's when America has to show, show some reservation. We, we have to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, we're not doing that. I mean, we're not going to be a part of that. Here's what we will do. So w- with explicit clarity, you, you, you tell Netanyahu what the American government is willing to do. And then you hang that phone up and you call Xi. And you find out if China wants to live in the past or future. Is China going to side with the barbarians who butcher and cut children's head off or not. And that's exactly the way you couch it to Xi. And if Xi is serious about wanting to be a part of an enlightened future and bringing China as a, you know, a dominant economic and geopolitical force, there's no way, there's no way he sides with the terrorist. And then you, Penny, what are you willing to do? Put your money where your mouth is. I mean, what, what, or what are you willing to commit the Chinese government to 
in regard. What if? Well, I mean, you got to get with clarity. What if Netanyahu bombs Tehran? I mean, where does China stand? Where does China stand if Israel bombs Iran's capital? And you get with complete clarity where China stands in alliance and allegiance. I just think that is fundamentally important to this particular situation. Let's go to the phone. Verd in Marlboro County. Hey, Verd. Good morning, Ken. I, I agree with you. I don't think we need boots on the ground, but anything short of that, I think we need to give Israel everything they need. And I think we're already doing that. Uh, but, uh, no, I think, uh, you know, this thing has uh, got a long ways to go, and I think it's uh, it's going to be a very in-depth thing. you got to uh, – I, I do think that they're going to go in with the ground game, and they're not going to stop until they do away with all of the Hamas terrorists uh, in the Gaza Strip. And I think that's probably going to pull uh, Hezbollah in the north, and it's also going to probably pull – Iran to try and help out uh, Hamas, and when you do that, I think they are giving the green light for Israel to take out that nuclear reactor. I think I heard the other day President Trump say that, that Tehran is probably months away from having a nuclear uh, bomb, and I, I think they are opening the door, and I think Bibi Netanyahu, I think he knows what he's doing. He's going to go in, and he's probably going to uh, do what he thinks he needs for all the horrific things that they did to his people and stuff. But he knows it's going to open the door to bring Iran in. It's going to bring Hezbollah in from the north, and he's going to take care of all of them. And I think the big thing he wants to do, which will protect the whole world, is to take out that nuclear reactor in uh, in Iran. And I just think this thing uh, has got the uh, uh, potential to be, be much bigger than what anybody even thinks about right now. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. One of the early things I would do. And let's give Trump credit. I mean, the oil embargo worked. I mean, Iran was a little bit quiet because they weren't generating the revenue they needed to do the things they wanted because of oil. I mean, the, the embargo worked. I mean, the amount of Iranian oil bought on the marketplace. I mean, I understand supply and demand and margins and, you know, the price of gas is affected when we, we, we don't allow a nation that produces a lot of oil to bring their oil to market. I mean, it, it, there's a conundrum there uh, with the imbalance of supply and demand. But, but the Iranians were generating significantly less money for its government when Trump was president than they are today. One of the early things that Biden did was take the embargo off of Iranian oil, and I think the number went from less than $10 million in about 2017, uh, $10 billion annually generated by the sale of oil, to somewhere, I think last year was a record, $43, $44 billion, $6 billion. I remember pallets of cash going to the Iranian government from Obama. Um, I mean, I, I'd give Trump a lot of credit in understanding how illegitimate the Iranian government is. Take a break back in a few. You know, and I'd offer as, as somewhat of a, uh, I mean, a part of this is the belief around the world. People pay attention to America. I mean, I, you know, they don't pay attention to wake up Carolina. I mean, they don't wake up every day in Austria. Or, or Germany, or Poland, or you know Ukraine, or Israel, or Pakistan, or Egypt, and say what is the what are those radio show guys in in America say? But but the world pays attention to America. Um, we're, we're kind of the, I mean we're we're the barometer. We're we're the benchmark, whether we like it or not. I mean we kind of like it, and I think we've I think we've been irresponsible with it. But, but there's no way you can convince me that that some of the the motivations by the Palestinians, excuse me, Hamas, that's unfair. That, that's completely and totally unfair to say the Palestinians in 
in Gaza, Hamas in Gaza. Um, I mean, they feel empowered. Uh, the Russians feel empowered. Do the Chinese feel empowered or not? Well, I mean, I think you look at the the demented old man we elected president, the fact that we're allowing these these prominent debates about, you know, identify as a he or a she or a they or a we or a is or a it. Uh, I mean, the absurdity of discourse in America today, the thing that we've normalized, the abnormal that we've normalized, the world pays attention to that. And there are people with evil intent. I mean, there are people waiting on America to reach a point that they believe we're vulnerable. And I think Charles made an interesting point. What percentage of, you know, illegal aliens invading our nation are coming to hurt us with a desire to hurt us? And how are we rationalizing that? Well, I mean, I can tell you how. We're a nation in decline. We're not responsible any longer. It really goes all the way back to the unserious nature of the American people. Now, now I said Friday that the majority of my interest in, in Israeli in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was what I learned in church and what I've watched over the years. A little bit of nugget here and a little bit of nugget there. I mean, I, I've, I've taken advantage of Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, uh, a pretty good bit, about four hours yesterday. I mean, I really studied and try to better understand it and talk to people who are experts or somewhat of an expert in this field. But I still believe that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is, an, I mean, it's always been intense. It's always going to be intense. I mean, there, there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a historic argument about who should have this land and who should not, who should be in charge and who should not. Um, I know some don't like the fact. I mean, you're more sympathetic to the to the Jewish people than even I am. And you say don't include apartheid and occupation as part of the discourse. You have to. I mean, one side believes that. What whether it's justified or not, many Palestinians believe that that apartheid and occupation are a part of the Jewish strategy. I can't neglect that and refuse to allow that to be a part of the debate. I think Jews are the rightful owner of Israel. I think that is the right place for the Jewish state to have been uh, proclaimed in 1948 by President Truman. But I think there's obvious disagreement and obvious debate and a lot of discussion to be had. I know there's been violence on one side and the other. i got to believe that Jews have not been on the up and up and how they've treated the Palestinians. And i got to believe that Jews have at times um, been barbaric toward um, some of the Palestinians. But, but I still believe that, that a lot of the issues around the world, the unsettled nature of the world today is because America has appeared to be not in control of itself, fiscally irresponsible. I mean, do you not believe that, that leaders of Hamas look at our ballot sheet and say, hey, man, America's got itself $33 trillion in debt. They're spread pretty thin. I mean, if interest rate, do you think we're the only nation on the planet and the only people smart enough to understand finance? and interest rates, and, and debt financing or debt refinancing? I mean, do you really believe that they're that stupid and illiterate and not understanding? At times, Americans have this arrogance about us. We understand these things that the rest of the world doesn't. That's why they live in the dark ages. Hamas can add. Hezbollah can subtract. Russians understand the economy. Chinese, in particular, know uh, the economy. So, so to suggest that, hey, we're the only ones that get it, and compounded with that, you know, the debt issue and the fact that the rest of the world believes we are at the precipice 
of an economic downturn because of our irresponsible spending. You've got debates in Congress about what a woman is. I mean, we got, you know, you got XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes. I think the rest of the world goes, good enough for me. I mean, I get it. You know, Hamas may cut the heads off Jewish children, but I, but I think they know what a woman and a man is. But all of a sudden, the most enlightened nation in the history of mankind is going to have a, a debate in the halls of Congress about what a woman is. The Supreme Court justice stands before the, the advise and consent process and is asked by a member of the Senate, can you, can you identify what a woman is? And she says, I'm not a biologist. I mean, the absurdity of that argument at face is something that I think, I mean, if I'm in charge of China and I watch that, I'm going like, hmm, won't be long now. I mean, empires fall and they normally fall from within. And our moral decadence, our financial irresponsibility, our inability to make sound judgments. Um, some would say, you know, the, the forgetting of God and the disallowance of God to be a part of our, of our politics. I mean, I, I would agree to that. I absolutely would agree to that. But but the rest of the world, all of a sudden, you got a 16-year-old youth tennis player in California being beat, you know, 6-0-6-0-6-0 by a 16-year-old dude who identifies as transgender. He's transitioning from a male to a female, and he beats the best, you know, 16-year-old female tennis player a California's ever seen. I mean, you know, a, a male swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, one of the prestigious and elite universities, is getting, I mean, it, there's some 6'3 dude who identifies as a woman and the American sanctioning bodies are allowing that man to compete against women in a swimming event? I mean, you don't think the world pays attention to that and, and believes not only are we financially irresponsible, we've lost our way in morals and ethics and judgment saying, and I just think we're, we're right for the taking. I mean, I buy into the, the descent of America and the ascent of someone. And that's why China is so important in this debate. And that's why in this particular geopolitical affair, I would get China on the record. What have you heard out of China in regard to this situation? Nothing. Crickets. You've heard nothing. I would force, I would force China to declare where they stand. Um, and I don't know how you do it. Maybe uh, the offering, hey, if you don't do this, I mean, I told Rev, I would do it in probably Pamplicoenian. You know, I want to know where you stand, and, and I want you on the record, and I want to know what you're going to do to aid and assist the defeating of terrorism. And, and, you know, either you live in the Chinese of days gone by, you want to be a part of the enlightened, informed, you know, world, here we are. Here's a moment in time that you can declare yourself a part of the enlightened and and, and progressive, and I use that in a very complimentary way, not the progressive that um, Tlaib refers to herself as. Um, she's a progressive, but she won't. She's never not had something to say about everything. You know, we're going to indict the MFR. Remember that? Mm -hmm. We're going to indict. I mean, she's never been at a loss for word until she's asked to condemn the beheading of Jewish children. And then she has no comment. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jim and Florence, good morning. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. Ken, if, do you believe that uh, Christ is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him? I do believe that. It's Scripture. Right. Uh, so when we learn in Galatians that uh, the Church of Israel is 
is that the Christian church is now the new Israel. Um, how can we sit here and say that the Old Testament chosen people are the New Testament chosen people? The Christian church is the chosen people. We as Christians are the chosen people, not the Jews. So this idea that we're going to send Christian boys uh, to shed their blood in a foreign nation for people that we fundamentally do not believe will go to heaven and are condemned to hell because they haven't accepted Lord uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I, I think it's an abomination. Uh, that you know, My two boys were baptized into a holy priesthood. We should be talking about the genocide of the Armenian Christians. We should be talking about the, the white uh, Boer down in South Africa who are Christians, who are being uh, massacred down there. Uh, is, Israel is a sovereign nation and should be able to respond in whatever way they deem necessary. But if we're going to use Scripture for our basis of support for for the the country of Israel, then we need to speak with clarity and look at the New Testament and look at what Jesus Himself told us. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. That's an interesting point. I mean, I, I've I've struggled with that as a as a Christian. That's the one scripture that I struggle with. I mean, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That there's, I mean, how many times has the Bible been translated? In how many different languages? How many times has that language been interpreted from Aramaic to, you know, some of the Greek language? It's complicated. I've got a good friend whose father was a Baptist minister, Baptist minister for about 40 years, the clergy. He was a graduate of one of the elite universities in America. He had a minor, I mean, he had a major in theology, a minor in Aramaic. I mean, he knew more about transcribing and interpreting and, uh, you know, the, the revisions to God's word. And, and he just convinced me that there are fair debates to be had about interpretation of scripture. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's where the Christians and Jews part ways. Judeo-Christian values, biblical worldview. I think Jews and Christians have similar worldviews based on Judeo-Christian values. Here I am trying to be a bit humorous. It's that fork in the road with the long-haired guy. Is Jesus the Son of God, or is he the greatest prophet that ever lived? And is that, you know, those that accept Christ as Lord and Savior go to heaven, those that don't, don't. I mean, you know, that's, that's a fundamentally, monumentally important debate um, in this, I mean, not just in this, but life in general, take a break back at a few, you know, I was thinking about this. We're at halftime of wake up Caroline on this Wednesday morning. I can fake smart for about two hours and then I get found out. <laughs> I mean, I, I have studied and I mean this sincerely guys, I put a lot of effort in this show because you deserve it. And, and I, you guys are such good listeners and in issues that become extremely complicated and controversial. You always step up and prove that talk audiences aren't who some of the leftist propaganda believe they are. I mean, and, and that, that always makes me feel, I mean, when I leave here today, I'll feel like I did yesterday and Monday that, that we really and truly earned our keep. And, and at times talk audiences get 
perceived as a, a little, you know how they are, man. They're, they're a little bit brainwashed, a little bit indoctrinated, a little bit skeptical, a little bit conspiracy theorist. Okay, guilty as charged on all accounts to some degree. They're not quite as smart as Americans on general or on average in general. Uh, I would argue just the opposite. I think if you, if you, if you IQ tested everybody listening to radio this morning, and you put this genre and that genre, and you did it kind of, um, you know, indiscreetly. I think you would find out the talk audiences are above average IQ. I really believe that. Um, see, I believe it takes an above average IQ to be a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I do. I, I think to be curious and questioning and skeptical and not certain about what the answer is, and, and maybe look under this rock. Maybe they aren't telling me the truth. Maybe... You know, maybe just maybe my government's lying to me. I think that takes a degree. I think intellect stimulates, and I think that stimulation forces people with above average IQ. I'm not saying geniuses. I'm not saying we're splitting atoms here, but but I think questioning authority requires some degree of creative thinking, which requires some intellectual horsepower. And, and I think talk audiences have that. I really and truly do. And when we go down the road of a very complicated and consequential issue, you folks step up, and I am so, so proud and honored to have this job in these moments. Let's go to the phone. Terry in Lake City, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, guys. Hey, Ken. I, I uh, kind of was listening a bit earlier and had to step away, but I heard what you're talking about, um, worried about what's coming across the borders now with the, everything open as it is. I think it's already here. And to give you an example, I stopped by a store right down from my house, that I've been stopping at probably for the last 10 years. It's owned by a Middle Eastern guy. His son in his mid-20s was working there yesterday. And when I got off work, I stopped by there, and he had his cell phone going with a video, and I, you know, had the, the Middle Eastern uh, music and everything going, and he was watching videos. And I, and I was like, well, kind of curious, and I asked him, I said, man, I said, I, I never asked you exactly where you were from originally, and this is the 20-something-year-old. The dad wasn't there. And he, you know, with a weird looking, he said, I'm from Palestine. And me and him talked, and some of the things he showed me yesterday, some of the things he told me scared the daylights out of me. Now, he's been here his whole life. You know, his dad immigrated here just like he was supposed to. And, and But he definitely believed Jews do not need to be on this earth. And it... it I mean, it, it disturbed me to the point. It was kind of rough sleeping last night thinking, you know, I've been going to this store, you know, for a long time and not knowing what's around us, I guess. And what I think about is the ones that's coming across, you know, with the borders open and the people that are already here that have those ideas that's going to send them. Somebody's got to take care of the ones that's coming across the border. There's, it makes me wonder if there's not sleeper cells, there's not, there's not a big plan. But when the crap hits the fan, and all of a sudden, you know, we get caught in a crossfire on our own dirt, and 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 that's just my my thinking. Maybe I'm just a little crazy or whatever, but it's around us. It's already here. It's been here, and and in my my opinion, it's been here for a long time. And Ken, I'll let you guys get back at it. And I appreciate everything you guys do. And you guys have a blessed day. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the call. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I love these calls. Let's go to the phone. Anthony in North Carolina. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Hey, Anthony. Uh, I'm enjoying the show, man. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Here you fine. Okay. 
I'm enjoying the show. And I like calls like the call before last and Breeze and, and even Bert because it's showing that people are doing homework. And if somebody do their homework, don't always dismiss them. Check behind them and make sure it's right. But the calls that are saying, uh, don't let them call in. And all they're saying is that the Bible says this and this and that. They haven't done any homework, so let people call in that's, that's going to educate other people. And like I said, don't take it for, for truth. Do your homework, too, on what they say and check behind them. That's why I call this show. But something to chew on, too. Um, the, the main reason that those people over there are so anti, anti, anti-Israel, it goes back to the biblical days. Before there was planes and trains and all this, whatever, Jesus, when they was coming after Jesus, he went to the deepest parts of Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, and he hid from the pharaohs. He bent it in. Now, two thousand well, a thousand years later, you're going to tell people that those people are the true Jews that bent it in in Africa. It's basically the the greatest anti-theft that ever happened. And that's why they don't want the people there, because they feel like they stole. The Bible says that those Jews will go across water and be in bondage for 400 years to their captives because they weren't living right. That's not their story compared to the Bible now. They, basically, the people over there feel like that's a, uh, uh, basically, white countries put a white, a white state in the middle of a, a black country, Africa, and use that to, to spy, to get the, the, um, the resources out of the earth, whatever. And the number one um, product of Israel it's nine millimeters. I'm just uh, just showing that. But the reason that they're so mad over there because they know that they feel like those are not the people of the Bible that they talk about. Like Jesus went and he bent it in amongst dark skinned people. That's not true for them. They couldn't have have done that. It, it, it's more to it. But when the Bible said some of the synagogue of Satan, Christian people need to read the whole Bible and not let a preacher tell them what to read and what not to read. All right, so have a good. And guess what? I got COVID. I'm home today with COVID. Well, we you hope you say thank you, Anthony. Appreciate hope that, man. Um, yeah, hope you feel better. Get better and um, don't take that shot. No. <laughs> okay. Newsflash. You ready? Radio show hosts don't give medical advice. Back in the day when we were asked to get involved in encouraging people to get shots, I remember, and I think Rev stood by me on this one, I am not telling people to get vaccinated. I am not telling the people to not get vaccinated. That is a decision you need to make in consultation with your doctor, not your radio show host. <laughs> Let, let's make that clear. Radio show hosts don't give medical advice worthy of listening to and paying attention. Seems like common sense. Yeah, to well, me. I mean, it, you know, uh, yeah. The guy on the radio said to get vaccinated. So <laughs> and, I did and if, he, it. and if he does give you medical advice, don't pay him any don't attention. Don't pay him any attention at all. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Cross Hill. Good morning, Sam. Uh, good morning, fellas. Uh, great shows this week. And, um, Ken, uh, I, I think the reason that uh, Israel situation uh, compared to Ukraine hits us so hard is because you and I grew up and many of the listeners grew up, and we know the names of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Nazareth and the Jordan River. So we can really associate with this place whether we understand the background history at all. I remember when Dale Earnhardt was killed, and I remember when Alan Kowicki was killed, because I'm a big racing fan, how that sort of affected me. Uh, I was I was much sadder in those situations than I perhaps uh, have been in other situations. But um, so I, I think that's why it, Israel really hits us hard. 
Also, uh, while you were talking earlier, I got a call from President Chi, and President Chi wanted me to speak on his behalf to you, okay. President Art. <laughs> and uh, I would tell you that uh, you guys are doing a perfectly good job uh, taking care of destroying your country, and the Israelis will do a pretty good job of destroying their country. And probably what becomes of all of this is everybody will have less ammo, less resolve, uh, there will be uh, great death, you know, destruction and whatnot, and that will be the perfect time for us to move in and just take care of what our goals are. So I would say we're going to remain neutral, although we know that they're not going to. We 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 know that you know that we're not going to remain neutral. We will operate behind the scenes because we uh, do terrible things to uh, our own people, Uyghurs. We harvest organs and do all this kind of stuff. But right now. I'm, I'm going to tell you that we're going to stay neutral, and because uh, uh, y'all are doing a great job of, uh, you've got poor leadership. Your borders are open. Your armaments are being um, reduced. You know, the last time I heard y'all were having trouble, uh, you were having to supply ammunition to the Ukrainians. So where's all this stuff going to come from to uh, supply the the Israelis? Uh, the strategic oil reserve is low, so everything is just lining up quite nicely for us. So that's 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 what uh, that's how we feel. Thank so you, anyway, Sam. Well, but that, that's kind of an interesting take. You know, at, at the end of the day, China's master and macro strategy is probably to allow the West to continue what it's doing to itself. And I'm not talking about just America, the Western world. Um, green energy and political correctness and uh, you know transgender neutrality and all these uh, gender neutrality, transgenderism. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's prevalent in most of the Western world. I mean, the, the Western world has embraced this, um, this wokeism and political correctness and, uh, you know, the, the, the academia led nonsense that has become, uh, the political mainstream. So yeah, I mean, if I'm G, I mean, if I'm president, you know, the president of the United States, my second call after Netanyahu is to G to see if I can coax him into taking a stand or a position. But if I'm G I mean, obviously I'm reluctant because I'm not sure I'm playing the lesser hand. I mean, I think in every negotiation, China's always felt they had the lesser hand to play. I mean, they, 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 they're on the ascent, we're on the descent, but I don't think we passed in the night yet. And I think for the first time in my lifetime, and I can't speak to previous times, they may feel they have a better hand to play than we do. And as a red-blooded American who loves the country, I'm not sure he's wrong. I mean, I, you know, when they sit down at a mutual negotiation about who gets to call the shot and why it matters more, China probably has as good a hand as America to play today. Now, they've got their internals. They've got their problems. But, but I'll tell you what they've not done. They've not bought into the, uh, the woke nonsense, the political correct nonsense that the majority of the Western world has adopted and embraced. And the reason the Western world adopts and embraces, they, they kind of follow America's lead. And as we normalize the abnormal, the, the, you know, the Western world begins normalizing the abnormal. The only thing we're Johnny come lately to is transitioning from capitalism to socialism. I mean, it took us a while to get there, but we're trying to catch the Europeans because how many, how many leftist economists and, and politicians say, well, here's what they do in Europe and here's how they do it in Europe. And if you've been to Europe and ridden the trains, if you've been to Europe and watched the quality of life, did you know in France they're working three and a half days a week? And they've got this entitlement system that's going bust. But anyway, um, we, we've not adhered yet to the economic principles of Europe. 
and the rest of the Western world. But but we're getting there. Just give us give us time. We'll evolve from capitalist to, to socialist uh, in, in a matter of uh, probably less less than a decade. Let's go to the phone. Matt in Florence. Good morning, Matt. You're on. Hey, guys. It's kind of crazy. I, last week I, I took a trip to New York City just because I'd never been, and I kind of wanted to see what it was like, and it was right as all this stuff was happening. And uh, it was actually um, – a bit of a mixed reaction there. Like, uh, there were people cheering and stuff about what was happening. And I was like, I need to get the hell out of here as soon as possible. But, um, yeah, I just never been to the city. So I wanted to go to the, like the nine 11 memorials and all that. But as far as like, uh, what Israel does, I, I don't really think we have to do too much. I mean, these guys are strong fighters. They have most odds. Uh, they can use most odds to, uh, find these Hamas leaders in Iran and just, uh, you know, calculated assassinations would be fine. Um, and I'm all for us giving them it, it, however many guns and ammo they need uh, to take care of business. The rest of it is me just turning my head and having a cup of coffee. I can tell the difference between what's uh, a war and what's just a, an absolute moral atrocity. And uh, the second these guys start killing babies and cutting the heads off of teenagers and stuff like that, I'm not going to feel to go over there and wipe those guys off the face of the earth. It's just, um, I'm sorry. Uh, I think the time for over and they need to handle their business and do what they're going to do and if the rest of the world wants to look at them with disgust so be it at least their people are alive you know and they can go to a concert without worrying about being killed and people flying out parachutes and stuff like that just my thoughts thank you man appreciate it 843-661-0937 take a break back in just a few moments anybody ever heard of bill ackman bill ackman is a financial guru very influential wall streeter runs a um i think it's persian capital is the name of his hedge fund. But he kind of said yesterday on Twitter that he's been asked by a number of CEOs for Harvard to release a list of the members of each of their organizations that have basically signed on to a letter um, holding Israel responsible in, in a weird way for the Hamas actions. And... Um, what he's basically saying is that the CEOs of these companies want to make sure they don't inadvertently hire any of these people who uh, basically blame Israel for the actions of Hamas. And um, I, the, the, the particular part of this that I find real interesting and confusing, um, I'll ask you this, Josh. Yeah. If, if you're Netanyahu um, and you know the people of Palestine, elect, the people of Gaza, the people of Gaza elected Hamas as their government, and you want to purge, I'm using that word, you want to purge the Gaza Strip of Hamas, do you kill, do you sanction killing every Palestinian? I mean, you know it's not right. I mean, you you know in your heart that you're killing innocent people. Everybody doesn't support what Hamas does. But it really goes back to the kind of the general argument we made earlier this morning about people in Germany knew that Hitler was killing Jews. I mean, at some point in time, it, it, they stopped being suspicious, and it was confirmed. I mean, that, that people in Germany that did not support what Nazis were doing were somewhat complicit. We can argue about what degree of complicity, but they were somewhat complicit. Do they have blood on their hands? The Palestinians know that Hamas is a terrorist organization. What about the Palestinians that don't support Hamas? but stand idly by and allow the butchering and the beheading of Jewish children. 
What, what, what do we say to those Palestinians? What do we say to those Germans? I think there's a fair comparison here. It, it's, it's a conundrum. I mean, it's, a, it, it's quite the complicated situation that Germans found themselves in. I mean, it's easy to say, well, if I was a German, there's no way I would have stood idly by and watched Nazis kill the Jews the way they killed the Jews. Would you? Would you? I mean, Breeze just kind of raised a point. You stood idly by and watched BLM beat store owners into oblivion and loot and destroy property. I mean, we stood idly by. Nobody stopped that from happening. In fact, we, inc- we, we said give them space. You know, these people have been oppressed. They've been taken advantage of. They need to be allowed to vent and demonstrate themselves. So I think it's easy to say, well, I can tell you what I'd done if I'd have been a German in the early 1940s, there's no way I would have stood idly by and let Hitler, in the name of my country, kill Jews the way he did, and the Palestinians. I mean, you can't believe for a second that every Palestinian believes that what Hamas is doing is to be legitimized. I mean, there's no way you can convince me of that. I mean, there are Palestinians, there were Germans that want fairness and equality and and to do the right thing, but, but to what degree are they complicit in that sort of behavior in Nazi Germany and now in the Hamas-led um, Gaza Strip? Well, the, like, you know, as always, it's a complex question. And and like you said, hindsight 2020, it's easy to say what you would do uh, knowing who wins World War II if you were alive in World War II, Germany. And I, you know, I'm not a big Jordan uh, Peterson fan, but I agree with what he said years ago in 2017, I think it was, where he said, if you were born... In if you're a German in Nazi-occupied Germany, in your like early uh, late teens, early twenties, you'd be a Nazi. And people people say, well, well, me, but but no, never. But most Germans, you know, were like they enlisted. That's what they believed, and we're really a product of our our culture, you know. And and I genuinely think uh, that. A lot of the Palestinians, they voted for Hamas, you know, and, and we like to say, well, maybe there was a gun put to their head. But I think they did uh, elect that because I believe that they feel slighted by the Jews. And again, I don't agree with bombings uh, and I don't agree with cutting babies heads off if that's even happening. But I do think that both sides are at fault. I, I don't like the, the whole like moralism of this kind of coming into the conversation. But, but, but surely there's got to be some moral, there, there's got to be some morality here. I think you would agree, Josh. Yeah. Being slighted by the Jews and upset by that. Okay, let's argue that indeed there has been some degree of apartheid and occupation. Just stick with me for a second. I'm not saying there has, but for argument's sake, let's say the Palestinians have a legitimate point about apartheid and occupation. And, and they, they feel slighted by the Jews. That's step one. And then they, they hate the Jews. I mean, it goes from being slighted by the Jews to an intense hatred of the Jews. I understand that. I mean, I really and truly do. I understand the, the you know, the, the, the centuries-old conflict between the Palestinians and the Jewish people. Um, I'm not Jewish. I'm not Palestinian. So I can't say the first person. I know what it's like to be Jewish. I know what it's like to be uh, Palestinian, but I do understand the historical nature of the situation. But, but Josh, you've got to agree with me here that being slighted by is one thing. Having a hatred of is another thing. That's a little more intense. 
but but to 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 say that cutting the heads off innocent babies of any ethnicity or religion is, is just something wow. I mean, I gotta condemn that. You know, I feel slighted by the Jews. I hate the Jews. But but I'm I'm going to I'm 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 not going to condemn the beheading of Jewish children because of the feel slighted turns into hatred and all of a sudden I'm I'm rationalizing in the weirdest way imaginable the most inhumane acts, the most subhuman acts that that, that a, a person could perpetrate against another human being. I, I just for the lie, I can't get there. I don't understand that. I understand feeling slighted by the Jews. I understand believing that the Jews have kept their foot on my damn throat long enough, and I'm tired of it, and I hate the Jews because of it. And we got the raw end of this deal, that the British mandate was terrible. What Truman did was terrible. I'm, I'm sick and tired, and I'm not taking it anymore. But all of a sudden, your government, Hamas, murders, beheads, in the most barbaric way imaginable, innocent children, infants. I mean, at some point in time, don't you get off the train and say, whoa, count me out on that. I mean, I, I'm on the hate train, but but count me out on that. I mean, I, I just, that, that, it goes to, I mean, if you're in Germany, I hate the Jews. I'm with Hitler. I hate the Jews. I think the Jews are, you know, uh, they think they're God's chosen people. They think they have this biblical advantage, and I hate those son of a guns, and I hope Hitler does displace, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions. I hope he does send those people off to an island somewhere. But at some point in time, a cattle car comes by, and it's loaded with human beings. And you know they're heading to a gas chamber. At some point in time, morality has to become part of the human compulse. And we must say, wow, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we doing? What the hell's happening here? And I just think it's bizarre that, that people can go down that road and end up in a place where they're trying to, in the weirdest way imaginable, rationalize. I mean, I think a member of Congress yesterday, I mean, it, if, if the member of Congress had said, if the question from Fox News had been, do you feel the Jews have taken advantage of the Palestinians? Yes, absolutely I do. Do you believe apartheid and occupation are a part of this two-state solution that the Jews won't bend, they won't budge, that they've abused the right to, to have that holy land. I do. I absolutely do. Do you hate Jews? Yes. I hate Jews. I'm willing to say I hate Jews. Do you think it's okay for the government of Gaza to behead infants and slaughter women in the most barbaric way? Of, no, I can't. No, no, no. I condemn that. I mean, I got to condemn that. I mean, as, as, a, as, a, as a human being, I've got to have some emotional investment in in that. Wow. I want to say something because we do got to take a break soon, but I want to say something. I agree with what you're saying, but I also believe that Jews hate Palestinians for the same reasons. I think they believe they were displaced and that they believe they're God's chosen people. And and frankly, I mean, uh, it's it's quicker to die by beheading than starving to death, which is what the Jews are doing to the Gaza Strip right and, now. And I would condemn... I would condemn the Jews. Right. Anybody that's—it's just bizarre to me that we've gotten ourselves to a place where ethnicity, religion, politics matter more than than, than human decency. Wow. I, Who deserves to die that way? I think— Nobody. Uh, nobody. I agree. Of course, but we're judging the Middle East 
from a Western point of view. I, I think there, that there these people be no, are barbaric. There, there can't, that's not a Western point of view. That, that's not a Western point of view. That, that's a human point of view. I, 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 an infant child having their heads cut off in the name of political upheaval or political unrest, I don't care where you come from or what notions you ascribe to or what politics you believe in. I mean, that's disgusting. That's subhuman. I mean, if we're rationalizing that, we're just not, I mean, the, the world has no chance at redemption. I mean, if there are enough people in the world who, who, who refuse to condemn the actions of anybody that does that to anybody else, then the, the planet is in, in more desperate straits than I ever imagined it was. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Let's go back to the phones. Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Gordon, Jim, you're on the air. Good morning, guys. Lively debate this morning. Um, I grew up in a Lutheran church, and uh, you can go ahead and thank us for, because if it weren't for the Lutherans, there'd be no Baptists. Um, but I had a, a pretty healthy debate with my pastor um, after I, you know, graduated from Boy Scouts and started to become an early man, and I said to the pastor. Um, I find it hard to believe that a Hindu man who pretty much lived his entire life following the tenets of the Ten Commandments lived a life free from sin, probably better than I did, that that man would not make it into heaven. And Pastor Poole looked at me and he said, you know, I struggle with that same idea. And I think that it's the the division of re- religious ideology has, you know, prompted so many wars because so many people are so convinced that the individuals that wrote books about God, that that is beyond a shadow of a doubt, the word of God. And I'm not trying to be blasphemous this morning. I'm sure that there will be a whole lot of Bible thumpers that will want to throw, you know, poo at me. But the bottom line is this. No man, in my personal opinion, has met God in person, had, knows that God does not go by many names. I don't have it figured out. And there are many people like Dennis Prager, these people who have, you know, talked about religion in depth and met with other, you know, there's Jews and Muslims and Christians all at the same table, hanging out with Jordan Peterson, having a lengthy debate about this. And even they don't have it all figured out and admit it freely, freely. So I think the problem that most people don't realize is that because of these ideologies, that it's easy to dehumanize somebody. And once you dehumanize somebody, that's when you get train cars. That's when you get beheadings. It's very easy to treat someone as if they were an animal and slaughter them when they are not human. And last point I would make is, given the history of Israel, and given what I watched on Twitter over the last three days, I would erase the Gaza Strip off the map. 
me personally. Would you would you kill innocent Palestinians? I what I would do was I would literally give them a pass and say, everybody who does not want to participate, you have forty eight hours to vacate. Well, I think today I'm jumping in. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you because I think you're you're on to something here. They have announced or informally said there's going to be a humanitarian corridor into Egypt. I speculated this morning that they're going to allow whatever Palestinians choose, you know, kind of kind of through that that evacuation route, that humanitarian corridor, but I don't know that they ever let them back in. I mean, I re- it, it'll be in Egypt. I mean, it, it'll be the Egyptian-Gaza border, and, and I, I'm speculating here. This is nothing but, but speculation on my part, but I think agreed. the Israeli strategy is, okay, you Palestinians who don't agree and will condemn what Hamas did, you've got 48 hours that we're, we're going to offer safe and free access, but but once you get out of there, they, they may mislead by saying, you know, once the war is over, you can come resettle the Gaza Strip. But but I just got to believe that is the intent of Israel, and that is complete and total speculation. I don't have an insider in in Tel Aviv or, or Jerusalem. I I do have some insider friends, and I'm and I'll just put it like this: from a military standpoint, and from the long running history of the problems that have been going on. The only solution at this point is to say, you have 48 hours to vacate. This is the way you go. If you're here afterwards, because before they started bombing, they had already started dropping leaflets and broadcasting, we're going to bomb tomorrow. Get out. Um, You know, I'm watching PBS NewsHour last night, and they're like, Oh, all the poor Palestinians. Oh, my God. You know, all the, the, you know, innocent casualties. You were warned. You should have left. And at this point, get the hell out of the Gaza Strip, and we're going to build a wall around that. And everybody else, you can drive your, your hiney all the way around to where the Palestinians are on the other side of the state, and that's that. Now we only have one. We would not allow China to be on two of our borders on, on either side of us. And you think about how small Israel is. Why would they allow the Palestinians and Hamas to literally be on both sides and have access to the bay where the Iranians can just pull up their boats and drop off AK-47s and bombs? Thank you. Appreciate that. Very very interesting call. Um, I know the guy's open-minded and, and will accept different opinions. He watched PBS last night. <laughs> And he's listening to Wake Up Carolina uh, this morning. Quite the yeah, different variety. perspectives and views. Um, I mean, interesting about the um, the interpretation of Scripture. And I mean, I could do a show about this. I mean, I don't have a degree in theology. Uh, I, I do believe that the Bible has been interpreted and transcribed and translated uh, over time. You know, the original. Uh, you know, how different is today's? I mean, I understand. Uh, the sovereign God and the omnipotent God, the omnipresent God. I buy into that. I really and truly do. I just fail to be as sure as some are about what scripture means. And, and I think human beings sometimes demonstrate a godlike arrogance when they read the Bible, interpret scripture to mean exactly what they're sure it means. I'm a little more hesitant than that. But there's some that believe, and I've read some of these debates, Josh, and you and I were talking during the break. There's some that believe 
I'm the way, the truth, and the lie. No, no one comes to the Father but by me. That is kind of a, um, I mean, that's Christ saying, I'm all you'll ever need. You will never need any more. Build your life on me. Accept me as your Lord and Savior, and you'll never need anything else. And and other Christians, many, 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 the majority of Christians say, well, that's, you know, and inter- my interpretation of that is the only way to get to heaven is accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Take a break. Back in a few. Josh, we didn't we, we, we didn't go on and got into the inherency of Scripture debate. <laughs> we certainly have. <laughs> and the Second Vatican to the Catholic Church and, you know, um, the the transcribing and the translating and the, you know, the what did exactly they mean here and what exactly did God mean uh, mean there. That's kind of an, I mean, that, that may be a debate for another. Let's settle this Palestinian Jewish issue and then we'll deal with the inherency. So figure of all scripture. that out. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's go to the phone. Larry in Wilmington. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Ken. I really uh, enjoy your show. I've been listening to you for about the last year and a half. And whenever I'm in the South Carolina area. Um, hey, I wanted to weigh in on uh, what you were talking about earlier you know, regarding the morality of, of the, the people you know, in Gaza and uh, you know, the, the Germans and so forth. And one of my questions uh, regarding that is what choices did they have? That's a fair question, a very fair question. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's an interesting thing for the call to appreciate it. It, it is very interesting. I mean, it, it's easy to say, and this goes back to the argument I make about government. Our government makes decisions as if they were in a flight simulator. Hey, let's borrow a couple of trillion dollars we don't have and see how this thing works out. And and then the dominoes fall, and they say, well, turn the simulator off, well, let's do it again, <laughs> and borrow half as much money. Right. But there, there are real-world consequences, so it is extremely Easy for me to say in a flight simulator or in some academic exercise, you know, what I would have done, what I would not have done. What is, what is option B? I mean, I think that's interesting. If you don't go along with the Nazis, what is option B? If you don't go along with, uh, you know, Hamas or Hezbollah, what is option um, B? We're all self-preservationists. I mean, that, that is one thing that really cuts across the bounds and borders. Religion, ethnicity. I mean, I doubt that, you know, 2% more Jews are self-preservationists than, than Christians or, you know, 7% more white people are self-preservationists than African-Americans. I mean, we seem to subdivide uh, the world into different categories and silos and, and you know, um, this voting block and that voting block and the white uneducated, you know, male and the, um, uh, the soccer mom, the educated female suburban voter. I mean, we're good. Uh, I don't know about the rest of the world. We're real good in America about stereotyping certain subsets of our population. But, yeah, I mean, that would be a very interesting dynamic. You know, what is option B? Option A is to turn a blind eye. Option A is to subconsciously say, hey, man, this ain't right. But what is option B? Where, where you know, what, what do you do if you're a German in the early 1940s and you are beginning to realize that the unthinkable is happening, that the the person you elected leader, maybe you not personally, but the person Germany elected leader is loading up Jews in train cars and carrying them to concentration camps that include furnaces. You know that's not right, but what do you do about it? What can you do about it? And I think that's a similar situation 
that Palestinians find themselves in today. Um, I think Palestinians know that Hamas is a terrorist organization. I think Hamas put a lot of um, law-abiding Palestinians in a very complicated position, and I think that's reflective in uh, Rashid Tlaib refusing to condemn you know, what, um, what Hamas did. And I don't understand. I mean, it's just bizarre to me that, I mean, I saw several official Twitter accounts of BLM, you know, um, you know, we stand with the Palestinians. I mean, do you stand with the murderers? Do, do you stand with the beheading of infants? Do, do you stand with, uh, you know, killing Jews unsolicited? And I, and I think Josh makes an interesting point. We don't know what the Jews have done to the Palestinians. I mean, I don't. Do you, Josh? I mean, we've heard, we've read, we speculate, we, um, you know, it's just, it's a complicated, and here's what I'll say. And this really goes to, 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 to nearly everything, to, 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 to nearly everything we've talked about. That's when the brain really, I mean, that's when the double Celsius, and I'm on my second Celsius this morning. That's when this dude has so much crap running through his brain that he wants to get out of his mouth. It's almost like I need two mouths. Um, now to keep up with my, <laughs> oh, you know, my, my false help us. Oh uh, no, I'm t- my false sense of thinking. <laughs> I understand these these very complicated matters, but but I think you know th- there there's an overriding premise here, and I guess we're getting a bit philosophical here. Whether it's what you would have done in Germany in the mid 1940s or early 1940s, whether you would have done uh, what you would have done in, if you were a Phil- you know a Palestinian today in in the Gaza Strip or you know in in the West Bank, I mean. It, one thing that I think we got to be real careful of is how sure we are of things we don't know. I think one of the great qualities of man is being skeptical of his own opinion. I mean, I, I don't say a lot on the radio worth repeating, and I don't know that I coined that phrase, but, but I've always told people in my world, be skeptical of your own opinion. Challenge what you believe. Challenge what you think. Don't believe in political orthodoxies or religious orthodoxies because somebody wearing a nice suit with, with a high degree of education said it to be true. And I think the adherence of, um, of Scripture is fair game. I absolutely believe that. I mean, I, I don't think it makes me a heathen or, or blasphemous to say, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what the interpretation of that Scripture was intended to be. I never saw the, I never saw the Dead Sea Scroll. You know, I don't know what became before the Dead Sea Scroll. Uh, who transcribed? Who wrote it down? What kind of day were they having? I mean, I, I, I agree they were. I mean, God didn't pick, you know, some destitute. I mean, I, I think God picked the perfect carriers of the message. But did we completely and totally remove the hum, human element? Is that unrealistic? I mean, seriously. I mean, when we talk about the Bible, the Holy Bible, I mean, I told you the reason that that I am Feeling different about Israel than I do Ukraine is my adherence to the biblical worldview that is very important to me. But but I've got to accept, Rev, that of the 7 million, 8 million people in the world, um, what is it, so many 6.5 billion people in the world, about 3 billion, a little less than 3 billion profess to be Christians, that means there are more people in the world that don't call themselves Christians than do. I mean, I can't discount everything they believe or say. Right? I mean, okay, we say this is a Christian nation. It's not a Christian world. And, and, and do, I, do I stop talking to Dave or Josh because they have a different worldview? No. I mean, we've got to coexist, and, and we've got to, you know, agree to disagree on some of these things. And, 
and, and share some common ground on others. And, and I've just always been skeptical. And, and, and this is kind of the macro. I've always been skeptical of people who don't question their own opinions and have such a high degree of assurance in what they believe that they're willing to discount what you believe. I mean, that's, it's not insulting to me because I got thick skin. I ran for office multiple times. Uh, I got thrown out of office. I, you, you build thick skin. Uh, I'm not afraid to give my opinion. People come after my opinion. They think I'm crazy and I don't deserve to be on the radio. I get that. Maybe some of you are right on certain days. But, but I've never, ever trusted people that believe their opinion is without doubt. I think one of the great qualities that any human being can have is to always be skeptical of what you believe, to always question why you believe what you believe. I believe in the Bible. I just said I have a biblical worldview. That's why I feel differently about uh, Israel than I do Ukraine. I'm not saying it's the right way to feel, but I'm being honest. It's the way I feel. But, but I also have a right to question human beings, fellow men and women. Obviously, they dedicated far more of their life to understanding Scripture and theology and religion, um, and they deserve to be more seriously considered than I do. But, but do we not reserve the right to doubt and question their opinions and their interpretations and their transcribing? I think that's absurd, and, and it's a bit dogmatic to be honest with you, but it's kind of the way we've, we've been positioned. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm skeptical of the American church. I'm skeptical of its motivations. Um, you know, I, I said a couple of weeks back, I think the church has done a lousy job in creating warriors. I mean, you want to be biblical for a second? I mean, the Bible calls on men at times to become warriors. And I think the church has basically passed on that because that's not good for business. I don't, I don't want the church creating warriors to go out and proclaim, you know, themselves anti-establishment or anti-authority or anti-IRS or anti-DOJ or anti-the federal government. I mean, that's not what the church wants to be known as. That might be bad for business. Well, I mean, you know, the, 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 the centerpiece of our faith is Christ. I mean, how big is there a bigger zealot that has ever lived than a human being who called himself God? And I do believe it's, it's proper to bring about Scripture in the Old and New Testament when we're talking about Israel because a lot of our beliefs are shaped by not our understanding of the geopolitics. I mean, how many of you knew that in the north region of Israel was the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and the Beatitudes, and, and the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, how many of you really have a, a chronicled demographic, or excuse me, um, geographic understanding of that? I mean, I think we should if you kind of make that the anchor of your life. But, but I, I, just, I just believe that in every walk of our life, we should always be skeptical of what it is we believe in. And, and I think if you're skeptical of what it is you believe in and you run it through the fire, run it through the test one more time, you become more believing of that after you've challenged it, after you've tested it, after you've allowed a debate about these things that you fundamentally believe in. Challenge yourself. Question why you believe what you believe. And, and like I said, run it through the cycle. And if it stands the test of time and it stands the test of debate, you've got something that you could even more believe in, fundamental about, about your life. Let's go to the phone. Bob in Florence. Good morning, Bob. You're on. Yeah, good morning, guys. I've um, uh, been listening on and off, and I may have missed some of this. And uh, uh, so if I'm repeating what somebody said, um, 
uh, when I didn't have ears on the ground, uh, uh, I'll just stop. Um, but uh, a lot of talk about uh, what we should do, what we could do, what's the moral thing to do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I didn't hear anybody interject into all those um, uh, uh, possibilities. What about the hostages? I mean, we go in there, knock them, sock them. Uh, they're going to kill the hostages. Um, Ken, you got any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, uh, you, you're not going to like my answer. You, you ready? I, I just think that's the price you pay. I'm sorry, but I can't defend that. That's so inhumane for me to say. But but trying to be the mayor of Realville, I don't know how you accomplish what Israel thinks needs to be accomplished and save hostages. I mean, do you owe it to hostages to try a rescue mission? Of course you do. Absolutely you do. But, but the likelihood of that succeeding, I think, is very slim. I mean, I think that the terrorist, Hamas, believes that Israel will eventually try to rescue uh, some of the hostages. And I'm not saying that they become human sacrifices, but, but I, I, I just I don't have a better answer, Bob. I really don't. If they're American hostages. Well, I mean, I still think the same thing applies. I mean, I'm not defending it. I'm, I'm not defending it. I know it sounds like I'm agreeing to allow certain human beings to be sacrificed in the name of a cause. But, but, but I just don't have a better answer. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. I mean, that, that's, that's, I mean, that, wow. I mean, do I like that? And of course not. Would I feel differently if that was my kid or my wife or my son or my daughter? Hell yes. Absolutely I'd feel different. And it's easy for me to say, well, just go in and get them under any circumstance imaginable. And if those people have been taken hostage, I mean, if 10 people die in the name of, you know, destroying terrorism, or one of the great terrorist organizations in the world today, that's a lousy way to say it, one of the most dangerous terrorist organizations in the world today, it's worth losing 10 innocent lives. I mean, don't we do that every day? I mean, don't we put a number on, on life every day? I mean, insurance companies aren't actuaries. To some degree, aren't they putting a value on human life? I mean, I understand we're talking about terrorism and insurance companies. Wow, I mean, that man just made a reference. But, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, we put value on human life every day. What is this human life worth? Well, if Rev dies at 27, his likely lifetime earnings were such and such, and his insurance, life insurance benefit is such. I mean, we do it every day. We just don't do it in the name of, you know, trying to make a deal of how much life we're willing to sacrifice in the name of destroying, you know, one of the most dangerous terrorist organizations in the world today. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. We have a call. We'll go to Scooter in Darlington. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, guys. This is the first time caller here. I just want to let you know, um, I listen to your show just about every morning. On the way home from work, I, I may turn into Ben Shapiro or whatever. It's probably not good for my blood pressure. But um, I want to challenge anybody. He had a show Monday afternoon called The uh, Face of Absolute Evil. And... I can't believe YouTube let him get away with it, but he posted all the videos that Hamas put up during uh, all of their killings. And the thing that struck it, my stomach is still in knots from watching it. The thing that scares me the most is there was a five-year-old boy on one of those videos that, you know, kind of reminded me of my five-year-old. They had killed his parents, brought him over to the Gaza Strip, and was taunting him, you know, won't you call for your mommy, call for your mommy, while the other Palestinian boys were beating him with sticks. 
And so what that tells me is this ideology is taught to these people at a young age. You cannot fix that problem. I don't know how you handle it, the humanitarian, humanitarian crisis, but you can't just go in there and kill all of your adult terrorists because at some point those young men are going to grow up and do the same thing. I do not know how to fix that. I also saw them not kill only Jews, but Germans, people of Asian descent. They hate me and you just as much as they hate all of the Jews. So uh, thank you. I'll take it off here. Thank you. Appreciate that. Can we make the decision separate of the geopolitics? In other words, can we confront evil? I mean, if we are led to support Israel in some way, shape, or form in confronting what we call evil, now, now stick with me for a second, can we do that separate of the geopolitical consequences of bringing Iran and other Arab nations and China into the equation? I think as a politician, I mean, obviously I have a center. I mean, my center of gravity is the Bible. I mean, it's my, it's my worldview. It's based on, and I've, I've expressed that over and over, probably until you're tired of hearing about it, but that's where I get my, my objectives from. That's where I get my worldview from. But, but I've got to accept that I can't do that in a bubble. I mean, I, I can't say, hey, the Bible leads me to do whatever it takes to help Israel be successful in defeating um, ISIS, Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, you know, uh, Al-Qaeda, uh, whatever, who uh, Hamas, whomever there is Hamas today. But, I mean, there, there are a lot of other terrorist organizations that are, you know, Islamic fanatic, fanaticism is, is kind of the uh, the commonality. But but as an elected official, as a president, as a, as a congressman, as a senator, as, um, you know, head of the uh, what Joint Chiefs of Staff, can I make that decision insulated from the geopolitical reality? I don't think I can. I mean, I think I have an obligation to the American people to make that decision in concert with. I mean, if I, if I think that the, the American way is to confront evil, and if these people pose a legitimate risk to the American people, I think they do. I mean, I, I don't believe there are many Russians making their way across the southern border trying to impose socialism uh, in America. I do believe that there are a number of terrorist organizations infiltrating the mass invasion on our southern border and, and I do believe there are far more supercells based in fanatical Islam, Islamic terrorism than we could ever imagine. Now, how effective they'll be, how, how organized they are, I, I can't begin to know the answer to that. And that's probably what scares me to death. We don't know who's coming across our southern border. We don't know if it's one of 10, one of 100, one of five, one of two that are coming to not pick strawberries and put out pine straw. But, but I don't think I can make that decision as an American politician without considering what the geopolitics are. I mean, are we ready if Netanyahu says that in, in concert with my trying to eradicate Hamas from Gaza, I'm bombing Tehran because that's where they get their money. That's where the sponsorship lies. And, and we can't stop Israel from doing that. We don't have the right to stop Israel from doing that. But you would agree, and I would agree, that once Israel decides to go after Iran, it escalates. I mean, it's no longer the Palestinians and Israelis. I mean, it's now kind of the Arab world, the Jewish state, and, and what team are you on? And the next thing you know, you know, NATO must decide, the United Nations must decide, and the American military must decide 
Um, so some of the other European, uh, Germany must decide. Um, I'm trying to think of some other prominent military. China, I mean, we talked a lot about it um, this morning. I, I just think you've got to be understanding and respectful of, you know, preserving the safety and security of Israel, being on that team for whatever reason. I mean, some of you don't have a biblical worldview, and I respect that. But but then you've got to think about, okay, uh, you know, Netanyahu's decided to go after Iran, and I understand it. I mean, I understand it. Kill the, you know, cut the head off the snake. I get it. But but once you do that, it, it escalates. It becomes a totally, totally different geopolitical um, problem. Let's go to the phone. Nick in Lexington, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, fellas. Um, all I can, when we get into these theological issues, I always think about Paul Harvey's letter from God on Christmas Day, one of his last ones. Have you ever played that? I think we have, if I were the devil. No, no. Letter from God, where he did the concept that all religions that are to one God is me. And y'all are brothers and sisters. It's a much more tolerant viewpoint. It's a great little, you know, my children are bickering with each other. and I'm tired of it. It's called Letter from God, and it's a really neat perspective to have of others. Because what the answer is is tolerance for everybody. For the Muslims to be more tolerant of the Jews and the Jews to be more tolerant of, you know, and we all probably should be more tolerant. And um, it just I always think about that, especially, you know, because we have faith. I have faith. That, that that I'm right, but do I really know? No, you know, it's like mama's baby, daddy's maybe. I, you know, for a long time you had to have faith if you're a male that that was your child. You know, the mother knew. You know, that's my point. Uh, my point is, it, it's a good. I would hope you'd listen to it maybe on your way home, Ken. It's really, it's just called Letter from God. It's an eight minute. One of his little things he recorded on Christmas Day. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think we all believe in something. You do. I do. Everybody listening to my voice believes in something. Why do you believe in it? How firmly do you believe in it? And do you... Do you run it through the ringer every now and then? I think we owe ourselves that. And, and, and once again, I just, I mean, well, the, the, and I'll give you an example of what I just said. My, my biblical worldview, my adherence to a biblical worldview probably skews my judgment. I probably give the Jews more benefit of the doubt than I do the Palestinians. I would expect that of myself. Because once again, I go into this situation wanting to believe the Jews are the good guys and the Palestinians are the bad guys. But, but I can't stop there. I mean, I've got to pursue the truth. I've got to go down the road of better understanding exactly who. I mean, I, there's not always good guys and bad guys. I mean, we, we like to do that. I mean, we like to, you know, you're the good guy and you're the, it's in a movie. I mean, they're a tragic hero. You know, Josie Wells doesn't ride out of town one day uh, after killing all the bad guys. And he's some tragic hero. I mean, the world is complicated. 
And, and living in the world gets unbelievably messy and confusing. And, and that's why I believe we're all better off if these fundamental things we believe in are tested and trialed. And, and you know, I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't understand those who say, I know I'm right here and I'm not even talking about it. And I know a lot of people like that. I mean, to me, it's dogmatic. I know I'm right about this, and I'm not considering anything else. Take a break. Back in a few. I want to ask a serious question. And, Josh, maybe you can plunder around the Internet. I mean, I know that's the greatest place to plunder and find the truth, (laughs) but it's where we go today. I want to know if there's any documented, excuse me, Jewish authority. I'm not talking about this Jew or that Jew. I'm talking about a Jewish authority saying that the Palestinians don't have a right to live. Live in peace, live in harmony, live here, live there, live yonder. Is there any, I mean, we've heard Hamas say that over and over, Hezbollah say that over and over, ISIS and, and Al-Qaeda and uh, the Taliban. I mean, we've heard terrorist organization after terrorist, or, terrorist organization, and the one commonality is fanatical Islam. I mean, you can say, well, they disagree here, and this sect, and that's Sunni, and that's Shia. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, there's a common thread, and that is there is a kind of an Allah denominator. So is there any documented evidence of a Jewish authority saying death to the Palestinians. The Palestinians don't deserve to live in peace and harmony. In fact, that ethnicity needs to be exterminated from the planet Earth. We know that Hamas and Hezbollah are governments. They've been duly elected to lead the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. So when they speak, they're speaking from not a rogue terrorist organization, but a formal form of government. When they say every Jew must be killed, they're saying it from a kind of a, an authoritative um, sense. Is there any documents that show a Jewish authority has said death to all Palestinians? I don't know the answer to that. I would be very curious in, uh, in pursuing one. Let's go to the phone. Earl in Bennettsville. Good morning, Earl. You're on. Good morning, fellas. I've been listening to the conversation uh, back and forth, and something that people have to realize you cannot use diplomacy and you cannot use compromise when you're dealing with a terrorist organization. They have one goal, and that's all. The people coming across the border into our great country, if anybody thinks that they're coming here to work and to pay taxes and to do good, you need to put your head in the sand and cover it up because that's exactly what you're doing. The Israelis are faced with a decision to either sacrifice, just as was said, innocent lives to achieve the greater goal. Now, if Netanyahu and the officials decide to start at one end of the Gaza Strip and turn it into a pile of rubble and keep going until they get to the other end, that could be what it takes. I just don't, I'd hate to be the one making that decision, but sometimes that is the facts of war, and that's what they are at. They are at war. When you've got people 
that are willing to behead children and babies, there is not but one way to deal with them. One, you kill them. You kill them, you take no prisoners, and you have no qualms about it. The Bible is plain. It states that whoever blesses Israel, I will bless. That's what God's word says. Whoever curses Israel, I will curse. And Ken, I'm like you. I have a biblical view of that. And it's tough. It is tough, but that's the way it is. I hope you guys have a good day. Thank you much for listening. Well, and, and I want to thank you. Thank you, Earl. Appreciate the And I want to say this. My biblical worldview does not lead me to a place of believing the Jews are blameless. Please understand that. I mean, having a biblical worldview doesn't exempt any Jew from ever doing anything wrong. Oh, they're God-chosen people. That's the Holy Land. I mean, you, you Bible thumpers, you folks who believe in the Old and New Testament, I know how you guys are. I mean, I know where you find your peace and solace. Okay, I do. I mean, I, I've said that. My adherence to a biblical worldview probably skews my judgment to some degree. I mean, it does. I probably don't give uh, Palestinians as much benefit of the doubt as I do um, the Jews. But I don't find the Jews blameless. I mean, I've never said that. There is no perfect uh, person or group of people in, in, in this part of um, squabble. But, but g- going back to what Earl said, I believe that the, the Jewish people, and I'm talking about Netanyahu and the leadership. I'm not talking about the rank-and-file Jew, the guy who's kind of caught in the crosshairs. The, the, the people in, in Israel who will decide what comes next, I believe they owe it to the Palestinians who don't support terrorism who don't believe in killing innocent people, they owe them this humanitarian corridor. They owe them a a period of time to gather up whatever is left and get the hell out of there. Now, now I don't know that Amos lets them out. I don't know how you get from point A to point. I can't, I'm not, I'm incapable of deciding that or or working through the logistics of that. I mean, I'm not going to say, well, I mean, all you do is get on this and ride that and go there. No, I mean, it's far more, I got to believe it's more complicated than that. And fear is a powerful thing, guys. I mean, fear is a, I mean, you're talking about rational people turning irrational? Fear and greed. I mean, we talked a lot about this, Um, you know, this linear graph on one extreme is you're, you're totally afraid. The other, you're totally greedy. Um, th- those are drivers. I mean, that, those are very, um, very powerful human emotions. I mean, th- there, there's a song, uh, th- there's a Springsteen song, Devils and Dust. Leave it to me to bring Bruce into this thing. When he says, you know, um, fear is a powerful thing. It'll take a God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. And you, so you got to believe that if you're a Palestinian and you're thinking about, wow, man, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, I've got two kids and a wife, and I thought we had a decent way of life. I don't like the Jews. I mean, I think the Jews have been guilty of occupation and apartheid. But I don't want any part of this war. I mean, I don't want to die uh, in, in the name of, you know, Allah and, and you know, this is crazy terrorist and you know where the line should be and what the settlement should look like and what you know god of abraham some of these christian people believe in god of abraham and you know king david and i don't want to get caught in that i want out of here i mean i want to find a place that i can safely provide for my family i think we owe and by that i mean the israel and its allies i think you owe those people time to get out if your if your decision is to turn gaza into uh, a glass mine, then you owe those innocent people a, a period of time to do whatever they can to get out of there. And then you go in 
I mean, if, if that's the plan, I don't get to make that call. Josh doesn't. Rev doesn't. I mean, that's Netanyahu and his government officials. They're the ones that will decide, you know, what is in the best interest of Israel and the Jewish people. But but I do believe, I do believe that, 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 that you owe, I mean, and I, I read yesterday or last night of the Wall Street Journal that they are going to offer this humanitarian corridor as kind of an evacuation route to allow peaceful Palestinians to get out of there. I'm not saying they should. I mean, I'm not saying you should have to flee your home, but this is the hand you're dealt. I mean, this is a very imperfect world, and you're, maybe you're a victim. There are victims every day. And, and some of these, you know, these intense disagreements that groups of people have with one another. And um, I, I would just, I would, I would feel better as an ally of Israel if they offered up an opportunity for peaceful Palestinians to get out of there. Well, I mean, what do you do, run them out of their country? I, I get it. I mean, I understand it. I, but that here's where we are. I mean, this isn't a flight simulator. This is the real world. And, and then whatever Israel decides to do, I think America supports in some way, shape, or form. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Larry in Florence. Good morning, Larry. You are on the air. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Just listening in to what's been being said here, and some people have pretty much uh, lost it as far as what's really going on in the world today. If you think back, if you're a Bible scholar, back during the time when Saul was king, God told him to go in and destroy the Amalekites, kill everybody, women, children, babies, whatever, animals, and do not let anything be spared. He broke God's law. He brought back the best of everything. And as a result, this is what we're in dealing with now, with all of this intermingling with these people that don't believe in God, don't care about God. So sin, sin brought all this on the world. And until we get ourselves situated, what the Bible says about sin and the causes of sin, you're going to constantly see this. So that's all I have to say. I'll listen to what you guys have to say off the radio. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. I guess the most alarming part of this to me, um, I mean, I know more now than I did Monday. Obviously, I've tried to better understand it. I've tried to get my arms around it. Uh, I didn't go to a 12-minute YouTube video where somebody is motivated by something other than the truth. I compared these notes to these notes, this opinion to that opinion. I guess I'm, I'm concerned. Uh, I'm, I'm taking it back that there are people in America that refuse to condemn the killing of innocent children, the beheading. I mean, I understand the disagreement about land. And once again, I'm willing to put apartheid and occupation on the table. Most uh, Jewish sympathizers are not. I mean, I'll offer that up as part of the discourse. Have the Jews occupied lands that the Palestinians deserve? You know, okay, let's debate that. Is is, is apartheid, okay, let's debate that. But, 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 when you ask a an American citizen, especially a prominent member of Congress, to condemn the beheading of Jewish children, and she refuses to do that, that is alarming to me. I mean, the question was not, hey, where do you think we need to go from here regarding Hamas, Hezbollah, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank? That's not the question. Will you condemn or not Hamas beheading Jewish children? And refusing to answer that and and knowing i mean black lives matter i mean several chapters of black lives matter stand with palestine 
Does that mean you're standing with beheading Jewish children and and torturing you know Jewish families? And I mean, they, there's video after video after video. I mean, there are human beings being set on fire. I mean, there are people being their their feet being cut off and then their knees being cut. Mutilation. I mean, it's genocide. This is not 9/11. I mean, this is closer to the Holocaust. Over the weekend, the I mean, the, the Hamas gathered up their forces, invaded uh, places in in Israel, and barbarically killed people. I mean, that that's that's in that's subhuman. I mean, that's wow. I mean, I don't know what word to inject there or interject there, but but for Americans to not sit idly by because it's not our job to solve the issues of that world. But but surely condemnation of that is almost required or expected, and it's bizarre to me that instead of that, they're talking about, you know, no water and no power and, you know, you know the, what, the Jewish have, uh, what the Jewish army is doing to inflict severe damage to the Gaza Strip. And now you've got Palestinians living in the dark with no water, no food, um, being, de- being deprived of some of the necessities of life. Okay, I condemn that. But but let's go back to the, the the lack of condemnation when it comes to killing innocent human beings. I, I just thought the American way. I mean, I know we disagree on you know Gaza and the West Bank and Israel and what we should do and Ukraine and Russia. But I just thought there was a, a pretty unanimous consensus of the American uh, way you would condemning um, the antics of of Hamas. But I was wrong. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.